This podcast was recorded during the 2023 WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. Without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, the television and movies being covered here would not exist. We stand with the writers and actors and support their call for equitable and fair treatment for everyone in the industry. You can support those on strike by making a donation at entertainmentcommunityfund.org, which will go to a writer, actor, or other entertainment worker in need. You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ha! Got him! That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. What's up, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to Star Wars The Saga Continues, where we are talking about the final episode of the Ahsoka series. And uh, obviously, it's going to be an exciting one. we got a lot to dive into and discuss, so let's just jump right into it. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tim. How's it going, Tim? What's up, Kyle? It's hard to believe that the series is done already, but man, what a series. What a finale. It's just, I can't wait to dive into it. <laughs> what a great ride it's been. And yeah, this is going to be a fun one because there's a lot of fascinating stuff to dive into with this finale. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, as Paul would say if he were here, I've got a lot of thoughts on this one. Um, <laughs> as he would cryptically tweet before jumping on the podcast. Paul is not here tonight because uh, he's overdoing his Star Wars Newsnet show. Um, so I'm thinking what we'll try to do is we'll just have the two of us on here tonight talking about the finale. And then we'll try to get Paul on for um, a recap episode for the entire series. Which I know we did that with uh, Mando season three, too. And I think like Paul missed the finale for that one. And it was like, okay, well, you know, next time Paul's on, let's try to have an episode where we can all talk about Mando just so we kind of get a chance to all share our thoughts and stuff. But in this case with Ahsoka, like I actually want to go back and like rewatch the entire series and then do another episode kind of doing a deep dive on the whole thing once we've had time to really kind of digest and process it. And at least for me, like I know I want to watch it all in one sitting. So yeah. um, definitely... Looking forward to doing that the next time Paul's here, but um, yeah, man, I'm excited to be here tonight and just get to talk uh, about all the the wild stuff that went down in this finale. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking the same thing where once, I mean, we talked about this before too, how once the series ends, or I should say the season, that it's going to be awesome just to go back and watch it from beginning to end. Um, hopefully I could do that sooner rather than later as well, because it is something I want to kind of marathon to just watch it all as like one big long movie or story that um, how, how each episode played out and this how it all kind of fits as one big story is it's going to be awesome to experience. So that's like the last thing to look forward to, I guess, with the series now that it's over, just to kind of do a full blown rewatch of the whole thing all in one go. Yeah, definitely. 
um yeah and really get like the full scope of uh of this big journey that we've been on with these characters um but man what a way to end it i mean let's just jump right into talking about this finale um where we start off with uh thrawn and the great mothers and morgan elsbeth on um on peridia and you know they're talking about uh, they've located the Jedi ship and Thrawn's like, all right, send some TIE fighters after him. And, you know, they're still trying to stall for time to make their escape. Um, and meanwhile, the night, uh, the, the, the great mothers, uh, go up to Morgan Elsbeth and, you know, in order to, um, I guess, reward her for her efforts in leading, you know, coming to find them and following their, their calls to come and save Thrawn and everything. Um, they bestow upon her the, uh, they call it a gift of shadows, um, where like they put their hands on her face and you see like the green magic fire. And then she gets like the black eyes and the face tattoos and the deep voice like they have. Um, and then they conjure from, from thin air with again, the same green fiery night sister magic, which again, I was so excited that we finally got to see that. I was like, man, when are we going to see these night sisters really doing their thing? Um, so we get to see, you know, the fire and the magic and everything in action. And then they conjure a sword from thin air and they call it the Blade of Talzin. Um, so this is, I'm, at least I'm going off the assumption that this is the same, like, glowing green fiery sword that we saw Mother Talzin fight Mace Windu with in Clone Wars. Um, although I think in Clone Wars it was like, the that blade was like just pure fire. And in this case, it's an actual physical sword, but it still has like the green flames coming off of it. Um, so yeah, I don't I, know if I that kinda, was supposed to just kind of be a throwback or if it's supposed to be the exact same thing, but either way, that was really cool to see. Yeah. It looked great. I gotta be honest. I'm, I'm going to sound like a bad Clone Wars fan here, but I did not remember that as far as Mother Talzin actually using a blade to fight Mace Window in those episodes. Um, I gotta be honest. I've only watched those maybe like once or twice. And it's not that I don't like them. It's just ones I just haven't revisited too often. So no, um, you're one of those Jar Jar haters. No, because Jar Jar was great in that episode. I mean, how could you not love mastering Mace? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just so I didn't necessarily think of that when I saw that sword, but I just thought because obviously I heard the name Talzin, it's like, oh, it's obviously a connection there. And just maybe was was that actually a blade that Mother Talzin used, or maybe like Talzin is was a title amongst the Night Sisters, it's like being the most like the highest ranking night sisters, so to speak, amongst the clan. But it was just cool to hear that name kind of be spoken in live action. Um, and just the sword looked great, like you met, mentioned too. And I couldn't help but also think of the, the Blade of Mortis too, or kind of how that mm -hmm. appeared from thin air too. So it was just, it's a really cool visual. And just when you saw Morgan grab it, just knowing, okay, we're going to get a pretty sweet uh, lightsaber duel with that blade <laughs> in the mix of all that. So yeah, it was just kind of a cool thing to set up uh, right away as far as, um, being something different and just uh, setting the stage for what's going to be a cool battle between her and Ahsoka later on. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then, of course, you know, Thrawn is watching the whole thing and it sort of like that opening sequence ends with just this really cool shot of the camera pulling back from Thrawn with the hangar of the Star Destroyer in the background and the two TIE fighters deploy out of the, the hangar bay and kind of fly over his shoulders towards the camera as they're off to go, uh, you know, hunt down Ahsoka and Sabine and Ezra. Um, and then we cut to the title screen from there and get the title of the episode, which is The Jedi, The Witch, and The Warlord, um, which is a, just a really cool play on, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, 
And I love just kind of like the wordplay there and the way it sounded similar, but also like it made a lot of sense to sort of thematically for the episode and where we've been the last few episodes, um, just being on this sort of fantasy adventure off in this distant galaxy with, you know, witches and, and weird creatures and all kinds of stuff. Um, and then trying to escape from this distant place and get back home is very much kind of like, you know, trying to to get out of Narnia and back to the real world mm-hmm. in a way. So, um, yeah, really cool choice of title there. Yeah, I think I said this last episode, how it's always exciting once we get to find out what the title is going to be for each chapter of the series so far. I thought they've all been great. And when this one came on, I was like, oh, awesome. But at the same time, like, oh, I know what you're doing there, Dave, <laughs> with this title. I mean, we always know that Dave likes to throw in, in Lord of the Rings inspiration and references. So it's kind of cool that he did one for the Chronicles of Narnia, too. So just like a really clever usage in this play on that title and have it fit, as you said, very nicely to the story we've gotten in Ahsoka already with you know, the main players right now being a Jedi, a witch, and a warlord. So yeah, well done. Yeah, very cool. Although it does, I mean, just sort of talking about it right now, I sort of realized like, yeah, even over the course of this series, we still have never really addressed the whole Ahsoka not being a Jedi thing. Um, mm, true. And I think at this point, maybe it's just safe to assume that even though she sort of uh forsook for has forsaken the the old ways of um the jedi order as they were during the old republic and what you know led to their their ultimate downfall and everything that maybe in this new time period you know with her being one of the last remnants and you know sort of the closest thing that there is to a jedi still being around aside from luke and you know a couple others um that maybe she just is sort of a jedi by default um I mean, I, I'd have to go back and watch it again, but like, I don't remember her ever like specifically referring to herself as a Jedi, but also like she's training Sabine to be a Jedi. Although she says, you know, I don't need Sabine to be a Jedi. I need her to be herself. But like, she's trying to train her in the ways of the force. And she also never corrects anyone when they refer to her as a Jedi. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's like, I mean, if she's considering herself a Jedi again, like that's fine, but it would have been nice to like have a moment addressing that and have her maybe sort of like reclaim that title um, or, you know, just sort of reconcile with that. I mean, maybe that was the moment, you know, her her confrontation with Anakin in the world between worlds and her whole like rebirth and everything. Maybe that was part of that. But again, I mean, they never really directly address it. Um, and maybe they still will in the future, because as we'll get to like, they certainly leave the door open for more stories. And I'm certainly hoping that we get a season two um, sooner rather than later. So maybe that's something we'll still address coming up in the future. Yeah. For me, I've always just taken it that if she going to go back to kind of referring to herself as a Jedi, even though not specifically said in the series, I would have taken it that the moment where she kind of would want to thought to go back to that would be after her experience in the world between worlds with Anakin and him teaching her that lesson one last time and because it's such a transformative moment as we obviously discuss at length and then just um, seeing and speculating on what it would mean for her to become Ahsoka the White that we saw and I that's the how I'm taking it now is that how she's going to going to be referring to herself as the Jedi again. It was once she went through that experience in the world between worlds that we saw. And even though it wasn't necessarily spoken or flat out just said <laughs> that she had to acknowledge that. So um, at least that's how I'm taking to view it as of this point, unless they say otherwise in future stories. 
Yeah, I mean, that's fair because also, you know, I mean, she walked away from the order, but also like she just never completed her Jedi training. And, you know, when Anakin exactly uh, comes yeah. to her in the world between worlds he says i'm here to finish your training so maybe she now is like finally a full-fledged jedi for the first time um so yeah i don't know if we'll we'll ever get that you know kind of touched on more or, or fully explained but i think that's kind of a good way to look at it for now um but speaking of jedi stuff then we go to uh you know we see ahsoka's shuttle kind of flying over the planes along with the Noti and kind of hovering over and, and protecting them. Um, and I was a little confused at first. I was like, well, if they're trying to go stop Thrawn, why are they flying so slowly and like staying with the Noti? But I think, you know, as we see Ezra like constructing a new lightsaber, um, I think they were kind of waiting for him. And then he goes and finds uh, Ahsoka and Sabine and says, all right, let's go. Um, so I think they were just kind of taking their time while he was doing that. And then they were going to be, you know, fully prepared to go fight Thrawn. But, um, no, I just like this... to think too that you know, just they were just under an attack, the Noti, and maybe were just wanted to be there for them for a little bit, at least a little bit along the way, so they know it's kind of safe and clear, just to be that little extra point of protection for them because we don't want nothing to happen to the Noti. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just but also, I mean, they make a point too to say like, hey, you know, time is of the essence. Like we got to go stop Thrawn. So. um I think it was just like, yeah, we'll we'll hang back and protect the Noti until Ezra has a lightsaber again and we're, <laughs> you know, sort of at full strength and ready to go try to take Thrawn on. Um, but it was really cool getting to see him building a lightsaber with Hu Yang um, and just kind of hear their banter back and forth. And I love how Ezra's like digging through Hu Yang's drawers and is like, uh, you know, he's like messing with his stuff and Hu Yang's like, stop, you know, I have a system, like everything's in place. Like, and, and Ezra's like, I have a system too. He's like, you sir have a method. Yeah. I have a system. <laughs> like, you know, that was just fun hearing them kind of bicker over it. Um, and I love too, how Hu Yang's eyes just show his different emotions. And we kind of saw it yeah. when, um, in the beginning of shadow warrior, where he just has that sad look on his face when he realizes Ahsoka and Sabine aren't there and he has her helmet. And then this one, he just, his eyes just has that annoyed look <laughs> as, as was going through all this stuff. It's just a great little touch of, of with Hugh just showing that little bit of emotion uh, that he yeah. has in different circumstances. I'd have to go back and watch too. Cause I don't remember if they did that with his eyes in clone wars. Um, but it certainly is a really cool touch, you know, to do here in live action and to just, make him feel that much more expressive um and of course you know david david Tennant's performance doing the voice and everything is fantastic as always um yeah if anything this show has really solidified who yang is one of my favorite droids in star wars and getting oh, yeah. to <laughs> even just getting to see him do the same thing he does it, that you see him do in clone wars when he's building the lightsabers where he's just kind of like rifling through the drawers for parts and mm -hmm. he's got those arms on the back of his um I guess, you know, on his back that extend out and they're like, so he's, he's going through drawers in front of him and behind him at the same time. And like the back arms were doing stuff. Like it was cool to see that. Um, but just to hear them talk about Jedi history and, you know, how long he's been training Jedi for and, and then talk about Kanan um, and uh, you know, Sabine even, you know, stops by and who Yang is like, where did you even learn to build a lightsaber anyways? And Sabine pops in and says, you know, from Kanan Jarrus and they're talking about him and, um, it was, uh, th this is one minor little, maybe nitpick that I have is I, I felt like this was kind of a bit of a plot hole where, um, Hu Yang recognizes the name and it's like, oh yeah, young Caleb Doom. 
So I'm like, he knows, like, and obviously he would remember Caleb Doom because he trained him and taught him how to use a lightsaber. But then if he knew in his older life that he went by Kane and Jairus, like, how does he know enough about him to know that? But he doesn't know that he was Ezra's master. Um, <laughs> because I assume um, that he would have found that out from Ahsoka. How else would he yeah. have known that Caleb Doom and Kane and Jairus were the same person? So that was like, eh, okay, that's a little, a little sketchy. Um, but still, it was just it was a really nice interaction just to hear them um, talk about him, you know, get to hear his name brought up and um, just, you know, get to hear that connection with Ezra, you know, talking to Hu Yang, who's like, oh, yeah, I knew him as a Padawan and talking about what he was like. And then to find that lightsaber part, um, you know, like the the blade emitter or whatever, that was the same one that was on Kanan's lightsaber. Um, and for Hu Yang to be like, oh, yeah, I only ever I only ever had only ever had two of these. Um, and Kanan took one and I kept the other one in case he ever needed a spare. And so it's proper that you would now have it. And so Ezra builds himself a new lightsaber that's, uh, I mean, we didn't get a good enough look at it to tell if it's like exactly like Kanan's, but at least that end part is, uh, you know, the exact same piece. So um, paying homage to his old master with that and then seeing him ignite the blue blade and everything. And that was really cool. Yeah, that's the most important part. Ezra is back to the blue lightsaber as it should be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I liked I like, I like the green one, but I also, I think the blue one looked awesome. Like blue is my favorite lightsaber color anyways. Um, and getting to have, you know, both the color and the design of the hilt pay homage to Kanan was really cool. So yeah, yeah I'm all for it. Yeah. When he was about to ignite it, I was just like, Oh, what colors are going to be like, come on blue. And then when it <laughs> ignited that blue color, like, yes, <laughs> but yeah, that was just a great moment. As you mentioned, just, Getting more uh, Kanan name drops there. Uh, we only got the one before by Hu Yang, but having Ezra be present there and just um, kind of remembering his Jedi training that Kanan did for him. And I'm sure he meditated on that a lot during his time on Peridia all by himself. And just to kind of be able to talk again about Kanan with other people there, um, those he was familiar with, and then someone he didn't know knew Kanan, but obviously someone who would know um him pretty well as a Padawan, getting to instruct him on how to build his lightsaber with Hu Yang. So it was just great connectivity there. And then just, again, such a great moment where he has that part for the lightsaber to have it, like you said, maybe not be exactly like Kanan's, but at least similar enough to where it's going to be great that Ezra's new lightsaber is an homage to his master Kanan's uh, lightsaber. So yeah, just great touches all around with that moment. Yeah. Um, and then once he has the lightsaber, he turns, uh, you know, to look back to Sabine and, and talk to her about something and she's gone. Um, and then, she, you know, she kind of dips out when, um, Ezra ignites the lightsaber and Hu Yang makes a comment like, oh, you must have been a great student or something like that. And that obviously kind of gets under her skin a little bit. And she goes out to find Ahsoka. Um, or and did then, you mention something about like the importance of like the master and apprentice bond or relationship, something like he, that. Yeah. He says, he says that earlier too. Um, because Ezra says, like, how long have you been, you know, he's like, how long have you been training Jedi anyway? And he says, you know, long enough to know how important the bond is between a master and apprentice or something like that. Um, so yeah, obviously stuff that's, you know, kind of got Sabine in her feelings about, you know, her relationship with Ahsoka and everything. And then, um, she goes out to talk to her. And meanwhile, Ezra, uh, talks to Hu Yang and he's like, you know, what's up with her? Like, what happened between those two? What did I miss? And Hu Yang tells him, you know, we kind of finally get the full story that, um, you know, Sabine, or Ahsoka had been training Sabine. And then at the end of the war with the Empire, 
um, was when the purge of Mandalore and the Night of a Thousand Tears happened and Sabine's family died along with, you know, hundreds of thousands of other Mandalorians. Um, and that the reason Ahsoka walked away from training Sabine is that she was afraid that if, uh, you know, if Sabine unlocked her full potential with the Force at that stage, that she would have turned to the dark side. Um which I think is a valid fear given, you know, what we know about Sabine's kind of stubbornness and impulsiveness and her connection to her family and everything. Um, and it was, you know, it was totally in line with Ahsoka's character too. I mean, even thinking back to uh, the Mandalorian and her refusal to train Grogu and her fear of, yep. um, you know, him turning to the dark side because of his emotional attachments and stuff. And so I was like, oh, it all makes sense now. And even earlier, like, I think, I forget if it was Balin or Thrawn who mentioned something to Sabine about, um, you know, her family dying and and that kind of throwing a wrench in between her and Ahsoka. But, you know, now we get kind of more of the full picture of it, yeah. um, which was cool. Now, I feel like, I mean, this was also one thing, like, I, I, I thought this was done really well. I thought it made a lot of sense, but I also thought it kind of created a little bit of weirdness just in the sense that it hadn't been mentioned up to this point. Like, I think, I mean, it makes sense to have that reveal between Hu Yang and Ezra and have him kind of give him that little bit of uh, exposition um, for something that Ezra would have totally missed out on. But I wonder if now going back, if it's going to be weird that like Ahsoka and Sabine just never bring that up the whole time, because that seems like a pretty big deal. Um, and obviously, I mean, you know, Sabine is kind of, standoffish around Ahsoka when they first meet at the beginning of the series. And, um, you know, certainly the implication is there that they had some kind of big fallout, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I, it almost, it's like now that we know what it is, it's almost like, Oh, it's maybe a little weird that nobody addressed that more directly up to this point. Um, cause it seems like that would be kind of a big point of contention between the two. And it's like, on the one hand, you can understand Ahsoka's perspective again, especially having been the apprentice of Anakin Skywalker and seen him turn into Darth Vader. Like she certainly has a valid perspective there. And then at the same time to just walk away from Sabine and abandon her in that moment when she's already lost everybody else she cared about, um, you know, certainly is not going to do any favors for her emotional state. And she certainly is, you know, totally justified in kind of having some hangups um, with with trusting Ahsoka and, you know, just their relationship kind of being fractured at the beginning of the series. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of a lot to take in. But, um, you know, I was glad that we finally got the full picture now. And it was kind of a simple answer, but just kind of understanding what happened and where it was sort of placed in the timeline was just kind of like, ah, oh, we're clicking the final piece into place here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It all made sense once Hu Yang revealed that. And we, obviously we kind of, we were able to guess that early on, like you mentioned when Balin kind of mentioned, or said that to Sabine as he was trying to tempt her to join him to go to Peridia. So it all makes sense that that is what happened, but getting that fuller picture of that Ahsoka was afraid, you know, she'd be training as a Jedi for, all the wrong reasons and more selfish reasons and wanting maybe revenge and that being the driving force. You could totally see how that would kind of put a pause in Ahsoka wanting to continue that training. Um, but like you said, it's still kind of a tough thing for her to just walk away from Sabine when she's kind of probably needs someone there like Ahsoka to kind of get her through this tough time. So um, yeah, I kind of took it as, you know, it's probably a sensitive subject to bring up for both of them kind of as they were 
just getting reacquainted again and trying to build up this master and apprentice relationship and just having their focus to try to be to find Ezra and to stop Thrawn. So maybe they just didn't want to bring it up and cause any more friction between them at this moment. So that's why we didn't hear anything mentioned between the two of them about it. But um, I would say maybe could have been something that they could have brought up or reconciled as they were talking in the moment right after this, as we'll get to. But as far as kind of them, neither of them mentioning it, in any of the previous episodes um i could kind of see where it's like as i mentioned it didn't really bother me as far as that once i heard that revelation i didn't necessarily think that oh why didn't they mention it before between the two of them i just kind of think they had more pressing matters (laughs) to deal with and focus on than kind of bring up some old wounds between the two of them as they're just trying to build this relationship back up again yeah that's fair and i mean it wasn't like a huge issue that I had. It was just kind of something in the back of my mind of like, you know, why did, why wouldn't they have brought that up before? Um, But also speaking of sort of friction between characters, and I know I'm bringing up kind of a lot of like nitpicks and stuff here, but um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love this episode and there's a lot of awesome stuff we're going to get to. Um, But one thing that was maybe a bit of a minor gripe for me in this one is that I did feel like they kind of let Sabine off the hook kind of too easily here as far as like the not revealing to Ezra um, how she got to Peridia and the stuff about Thrawn and everything. Because like that's, I mean, presumably that conversation happened, but it seems like it happened off camera, like in between episodes. Because then as as Ezra's building his lightsaber, he's like, all right, like I got to hurry up because we got to go stop Thrawn. And so it's like, okay, well now he knows that Thrawn has a means of escaping so he must know that that's how Sabine got here, but like we never see them have that that uh, conversation, um, and really see. I mean, I feel like that's really kind of a missed opportunity to um, create some tension between those characters, and then see how they resolve that tension, and maybe even you know strengthen their relationship coming out of it. But um, you know, for him to have essentially sacrificed himself and you know exiled himself to this remote galaxy um in order to stop the threat of grand admiral thrawn and now for sabine to come and rescue him but at the expense of also bringing thrawn back and basically undoing what he did um that kind of seems like too big of a thing to just kind of happen between episodes like i feel like there could have been a lot of good uh you know just dramatic tension and character dynamics um coming from you know them having to kind of reconcile with that so i was a little bummed that we didn't see that happen and they kind of just glossed over yeah i would agree with that because i even said on the last episode uh, one of the things i was looking forward to is the conversation they were kind of have once they're back on ahsoka's ship about what their plan is and then as we're learning that thrawn is pretty close to escaping and making out of this galaxy and just to see his reaction towards that um but we never did and um i mean i agree with you where that was something where it could have been something that maybe ezra and sabine would have had to move past but at the same time i don't think it necessarily had to be something that had to be dragged out or ezra could have gotten over it pretty quickly um kind of first being taken back by it once he learns that and but at the same time knowing as he said to sabine in the message that he left about something being a jedi you have to make those hard choices that nobody else can and understanding that in that moment sabine had to make that choice to pretty much do what ezra was asking and requesting for her to do which was 
to find him that he was counting on her. So I think initially it could have been, yeah, Ezra would have been like, why did you do that <laughs> type of thing? But then not taking too long to understand why she did it and her reasoning behind it. And mm-hmm. now just focus on, okay, there's three of us here. There's still a chance to stop Thrawn. Let's make this happen. I'll go construct my lightsaber. Let's do this thing. So it would have been nice to actually see that play out, at least for a minute or two at the beginning of this episode. I would agree. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, it didn't need to be like a big prolonged confrontation or it didn't have to like fracture the relationship between the two characters. I just wanted to see how that would have been resolved because like it could have been a big deal or Ezra could have quickly forgiven her. Um, I was just wanting to see which direction they chose to go with it and and how that sort of affected the characters and their relationship. Um, I will say, I mean, when you think about it in in sort of the grand scheme of things, it's not like she's just completely undoing all the good that he did um because still even the fact that he took thrawn off the board for 10 years um is huge because if you think about it i mean i know this is really kind of just solving a plot hole of like oh well why wasn't thrawn around during the original trilogy and it's like okay well we'll put him in a different galaxy during the original trilogy time period and then bring him back um But now, you know, knowing the character of Thrawn the way we do, if he had been involved in the events of the original trilogy, it could have played out very differently. And the Rebels very well could have (laughs) lost the war. And so um, even with Thrawn now coming back, it's like Ezra's sacrifice was still worth it. And he still, you know, did a lot of good just by getting Thrawn out of action for the amount of time that he did. Um, And obviously, I think now he's still going to pose a big threat for the New Republic, but I think they're going to have a lot easier time dealing with just Thrawn and the Imperial remnants than they would have had dealing with Palpatine and Vader and Thrawn all together, like at their Mm -hmm. full strength. So, um, but yeah, like you said, it it would have just been nice to see uh, them kind of reconcile that, see them address that, see how Ezra would have reacted to it. Um, but obviously, you know, regardless of how that conversation went down, now he clearly is just all in action mode. He's like, let me get my lightsaber. Let's get ready to go. We got to go stop Thrawn. So, um, now I'll be, I'll be honest, like this episode spent a lot more time with them trying to stop Thrawn than I was anticipating because I just figured Thrawn getting back to our galaxy was like a foregone conclusion. Um, and so for me, the more interesting dramatic stuff was like, okay, well, we know Thrawn's getting back, but what's going on over here with Balin and Shin and you know this power that Balin is seeking and everything. And so I thought that was going to be the big end game. Um, and instead, it really was Ahsoka and Ezra and Sabine like making this big final desperate push to try to stop Thrawn from escaping. Um, but even though, I mean, at least for me, I figured we kind of knew the outcome of that. I thought it was still, you know, just a fun, exciting ride. And they still managed to, uh, you know, to do some really cool stuff and make it not feel like, oh, this is just sort of a boring, foregone conclusion. You still kind of felt that dramatic tension in the just the chases and the action scenes and the way that it built up to Thrawn finally escaping. So, um yeah, I thought it was all, you know, it was all well done. But, you know, we'll we'll talk about all these scenes and we'll talk about at the end the Balin and Shin stuff and where that could possibly oh, yes. be. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll save most of my thoughts for that on the end. But I'll just to kind of echo what you're saying. I thought we were talking about our last episode, how, how what I wanted to see was Thrawn getting off Peridia and back to our main galaxy. Maybe something that happens early. And that's it. It's done with. But and then the focus of this finale is what Balin is after. Obviously, it didn't go that way. But I think 
this episode and the story is all the better for it. And I'll say why once we get to the end and everything uh, that gets shown in the finale or, or in the final moments of this finale. So, yeah, a little tease there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so instead, you know, so, uh, well, I think we didn't talk, didn't really quite talk yet about um, just the Sabine and Ahsoka conversation. Um, where again, we don't really get to see Sabine and Ezra sort of reconcile with her choices, but we do get to see, um, that with her and Ahsoka where, um, you know, she kind of apologizes for making the rash decision of, uh, you know, sort of putting her, her personal desire to save Ezra ahead of the greater good. And Ahsoka basically tells her like, look, you know, when I was a Padawan, I made a lot of decisions that nobody understood either but the one person who always stood by me was my master um and now as your master like just know that i'm here for you i'm gonna stand by you no matter what um it was a, a really sweet moment and i was kind of surprised um i mean clearly we know that seeing ahsoka kind of come out the other side of that transformation after the world between worlds you can see sort of that rekindling of like anakin's positive influence on her yes and her sort of um, reconnecting with those teachings and and carrying them forward, but I wasn't expecting sort of the the spirit of Anakin, if you will, to permeate through this episode the way it did. Like mm -hmm. from talking about the master and apprentice Jedi relationships to the number of times that Thrawn references him, and yeah, like <laughs> just the fear and respect that he has for Ahsoka, just knowing that she's Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. And like he brings that up more than once. And so, um, yeah, it was really cool. But then, you know, again, for her to uh, basically reflect on that and say, hey, you know what, regardless of the mistakes you make or the the choices that you make that maybe I don't understand or I don't agree with, like, I'm going to have your back no matter what, because that's what my master would have done for me. Um, and it was just such a, a great touching moment. And, uh, you know, just seeing sort of that bond built back up between the two of them. Um, and then I love how, you know, Ahsoka asks her like, all right, have you been keeping up with your training? Um, and Sabine says, you know, she says, I try. And then she catches herself and says, no, I, I do. I, I, I do keep up with it. I am training. Um, although I was curious, I was like, is she talking about just since the last time they saw each other? Because Sabine hasn't had a whole lot of time to train, like just while they've been on Peridia or while she was with Balin and everything. Um, yeah, I thought that too. What time period is Ahsoka really referring to here? Because yeah. see, that's one of the things where I feel they wish would have mentioned early on when they first got back together saying that was exactly. one of the first like, questions Ahsoka would have asked her. <laughs> I mean, Hu Yang asked her that in the second episode. Um, and so you, yeah, you would think that that would have been brought up with Ahsoka too. So mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. But still, it was a, a nice scene regardless. Yeah, I really love this moment, especially when Ahsoka is telling Sabine about how you know, as a, when she was a powder one, she had a fair share of decisions that and mistakes that she made, but her master was always there for her. And just how she specifically said, even when no one else would be, my master always stood by me. And it's kind of one of those instances where they're referencing a specific Clone Wars story. They're not saying it, mm -hmm. but we know exactly what she's talking about there when she was well, put and on even trial. Even the specific line that came to mind, because she specifically is talking about like him, um, you know, she's, she said he stood by me even when all, no one else like understood my choices or something. Um, and even though like obviously he stands by her through that whole trial, but that wasn't even because of something she did like she was framed mm -hmm. for that. 
But when you want to talk about him understanding her choices and when she makes the decision to walk away from the order and one of the last things that he says, or I, the last, it is the last thing he says to her. Uh, and he says, you know, more than you realize, I understand wanting to walk away from the Jedi order. And she just says, I know. And then walks away. Like to me, it was, you know, it was not just referring to a specific storyline, but like recall the specific, you know, a specific moment and a specific line between the two of them. So, um, yeah, yeah, it was great. So good. <laughs> and just how to, I mean, again, the showing the importance of the episode shadow warrior, just Anakin teaching her that one last lesson and then just really changing her and just getting her back in the right frame of mind and how, you know, Anakin really was such a great master to her, as she said in the previous episode, and how she wants to carry on those great qualities that he had as a teacher um, to her student now with Sabine. And that means being there for your Padawan when they need you most and just sticking together um, through thick and thin, through the good times and the bad. So it's just a great moment. And another small thing that I like, too, is when she asks Sabine if she's kept up with her training. And Sabine says, like, I try. I really do try. She said try a lot. And to me, it just... Takes me back to Yoda's line, do or do not. There is no try. It's like, if you keep trying and trying, it's like, you're not going to connect to the force the way that you should. It's like, you just got to do it. Just really trust in it. Not try. Well, no, it. that's, that's why I think she says, she says, I try. And then she like catches herself and she's like, no, I do. So it was almost like the, like they weren't saying the try not do or do not, but it's almost like Ahsoka has, at least this is how I took it. It was like Ahsoka has told her that before. And she kind of like caught that in the moment. And she was like, yeah, I try. Oh, wait, no, 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 there is no try. Yes, I do. I do. I'll have to pay more attention closely to the exact dialogue there. Because for me, how I'm remembering it is that she just kept emphasizing try. And maybe I didn't really necessarily pick up on where she said, no, I do. But um, to me, that just goes to show why at least she's having a more struggling or struggling more than normal well i shouldn't say normal because as Hu yang said she's uh someone is going to take more effort than a regular jedi would so obviously that plays a factor but two it just make it even more difficult for her just kind of having that attitude of just really trying and trying and not necessarily doing and trusting in it but either way if i remember it wrong it's still a good callback <laughs> to yeah. yoda's classic line it's also funny parallel to the that time kanan and ezra or kanan references it to ezra and i believe it was uh Rise of the Old Masters, um, mm -hmm. like the fourth and fifth episode of season one, where he says that Ezra goes, what does that even mean? And Kane is all, I don't know, but Master Yoda liked to say it a lot. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, by the end of the episode, they both kind of come to a, a deeper yeah. understanding of what that's actually all about. Exactly. So, yeah, that was a, a great callback there, too. Um, and then, of course, you know, Ezra comes out. He's like, all right, I've got my lightsaber ready. Like, let's go get Thrawn. Um, and then the TIE fighters come out of the sky and, uh, you know, they're taking shots at the ship and they're able to cripple it. Um, and Ahsoka and Sabine, um, or Ahsoka and Ezra jump down to the ground. They use the force to keep the ship up and protect the Noti because they're hovering right over them. And they got to stop it from crashing down onto them. Um, and Sabine and Huyang are able to fix the ship up just enough to, you know, get a, a, just a little boost of power to the engines where they're able to just launch forward and like crash into the TIE fighters and take them out um, and then just crash back down into the dirt. Um, and so, you know, Huyang uh, stays behind with the Noti to fix the ship while um, Ezra and Sabine and Ahsoka mount up on uh, a couple of the howlers and take off to go find Thrawn. 
yeah, a short but pretty cool action sequence here. Just again, seeing Ezra and Ahsoka just use the force to hold the ship up so it doesn't crush the Nodi was just a cool visual. And then seeing the ship just smash into those two TIE fighters uh, from both sides of it uh, was just really cool. And I'm um, just setting the stage up for what's to come, but at that moment, just kind of almost like another tough choice that Sabine had to make there to take out those TIE fighters and protect the Nodi because I thought they were really emphasizing that point when she looked back out there and just saw all their pods, which is kind of like their village, uh, their caravan there, knowing she did that to protect these people here, even though it meant for them probably not catching Thrawn in time and causing them maybe to stay there and missing their chance to leave this galaxy, but looking out there and knowing why they did it. Still a tough choice, but one that had to be made for, to save the lives of not all the Nodi there. But as Ahsoka mm -hmm. says, um, I forget what Ezra said. Always, I think he says like it's this is gonna slow our pace down a bit or something to that effect. But Ahsoka's like, nope, only if we let it. <laughs> kind of like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> of course, you know, even riding full sprint on a, a howler, like I think a ship would still be faster. But of course, they're still <laughs> able to they're still able to make pretty good time. Um, but then of course, Thrawn is sort of watching this all play out. Um, you know, he's he's back on the ship or whatever, and Captain Enoch is like. You know, Comscan is picking up. You know, the the Jedi moving our way, or he's. I think first he's giving him giving him an update on the Tie Fighters and says like they, you know, they lost contact and Thrawn kind of writes it off as a loss and he's like, all right, well, you know, mark the captain for uh, you know citation or something like that because his fighters failed to do their job. Um, although somehow he does figure out that the ship crashed. Um, but then they see, you know, at some point, like they, they do a scan and see them coming on foot, um, or by ground. And he's like, all right, you know, prepare for ground assault, like getting everybody, uh, you know, battle ready. And again, he's like, we are taking no chances with, uh, the apprentice of Anakin Skywalker. Um, and he even says something to Morgan as well, where he's like, you and I both have, uh, you know, sort of fallen prey to the heroics of one lone Jedi before. And like, we're not going to let that happen again. Yeah. Um, I also like how he said, like, we're not going to make the same mistake that may I saw many Imperial officers do <laughs> when they're battling yeah. against, not necessarily Jedi, but the during uh, the rebellion part, or at least the time he was a part of it, but seeing a lot of admirals make mistakes, obviously uh, from the episodes we've seen in rebels too. He just mm -hmm. knows not to let that happen again, especially to himself after what happened, what Ezra did to him. So it just kind of him great seeing him really taking in or learning from his one mistake that he made was Ezra in that moment. And just like, Nope, <laughs> this is not happening again to me. Mm -hmm. um, and meanwhile, you know, as they're um, approaching on the howlers, you know, they kind of come up over the hill and they see the the fortress there with the chimera up above it and the eye of scion coming down to dock around it um and uh you know ahsoka is kind of asking ezra like all right what are we up against and ezra's like you know i've never really gotten close on my own because it wasn't safe to come here he's like you know thrawn was over here repairing his ship and he woke up the the night sisters and so you know i just kind of stayed away um and the one interesting thing from there that I want to point out is specifically that reference that Thrawn woke up the Night Sisters. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this kind of plays into, I guess we could just talk about this now, even though it kind of ties into the end of the episode as well. But the speculation about just what the Night Sisters plan is, um, you know, sort of their ultimate goal in allying with Thrawn and getting off the planet. And we know that they've been loading up this cargo 
that they said they brought down from the crypts or the catacombs or whatever beneath uh, this fortress. And there are all these pods that we've been, um, you know, suspecting were like coffins or something that they maybe are carrying the corpses of dead night sisters and that they're going to use their magic to resurrect them. But also if they're trying to sort of relocate to a new galaxy and if they're trying to reestablish their home world of Dathomir and kind of restart their culture and whatever, which I mean, I think is sort of a fair assumption and, and a, a good educated guess just based on what we've seen so far and knowing how few Night Sisters are left. Um, you know, it's always kind of been in the back of my mind, like, well, it would be hard to start a culture or, you know, kind of like repopulate your planet with just a bunch of corpses. Um, cause obviously like we've seen night sisters be reanimated as, you know, like the zombies for, um, you know, sort of fighting and defense and stuff. Like you fight them in Jedi Fallen Order. We've seen them in Clone Wars, but they're just kind of these like rabid mindless zombies. It's like, you can't restart a, a civilization with that. Um, and so I was like, well, are they maybe more recently deceased? Do these night sisters have some sort of more powerful magic that can like fully restore people? Um, but I think now just having that one line about Thrawn woke them up, I'm like, oh, so were they like sleeping or in some sort of hibernation or stasis or something like that? And now they're just bringing all these stasis pods full of other sleeping, you know, hibernating night sisters, and they're going to wake them all up on Dathomir and just retake the planet. Um, that could be really interesting. And I'm, I'm, really intrigued to see what they end up doing with that but it's clear that whatever dave has planned going forward for sort of this corner of the universe and this section of the timeline and this era of stories that he's telling i think the night sisters are going to play a big part in it going forward um and i'm curious to see if they're going to continue being allied with thrawn and if they're going to be like a major sort of antagonist threat in the movies or if maybe we'll get a series or like some kind of uh, spinoff story focused just on the Night Sisters and Dathomir, or if I mean, we could even maybe see Mando end up going there or something like that. Like, it's just I get the feeling that maybe Dave is like a big fan of the Night Sisters from the EU, um, and like maybe wanted to reintroduce them in Clone Wars, and then maybe it was George's idea to have Grievous come in and kill them all off. And Dave is like, okay, how can I find a way to like bring Night Sisters back so that we just have the option to do more stuff with them? Because it's just cool having them be part of kind of all the different stuff you can do in Star Wars. So, um, yeah, I mean, having them, you know, we, we still kind of have yet to see what their ultimate goal or their ultimate plan is. But um, I mean, you know, kind of jumping ahead, like we do see them arrive at Dathomir at the end of the episode. Um so if we are going to see them, you know, sort of re repopulate the planet and just restart the culture of the Night Sisters, um, it'll be really interesting to see how that plays into, uh, you know, where all these stories are headed going forward. Yeah, it was such a quick bit of dialogue, but a very important one <laughs> where it just makes you rethink everything that you were that we were speculating on about the Night Sisters in those tombs. Because I mean, I was dead set on just that they were dead bodies of night sisters maybe recently dead or dead for hundreds if not thousands of years but yet they're going to be uh reanimated and brought back to life like zombies that we saw in clone wars but once ezra said that about thrawn raking the night sisters up that i did a 180 on just thinking that no those aren't dead 
bodies of night sisters i i really believe how those are alive night sisters just in suspended animation animation slum slumbering just you know hibernating just they're asleep that's pretty much what they are and then um they're waiting to wake them up until they are brought back to at least their home planet in the main galaxy of dathomir and just kind of reestablishing the night sister clan again and trying to come back into power that's like you said is going to be very interesting to see how it plays in the story moving forward whether it's in a series or in dave's upcoming movie um if they might be the actual big threat that um, our protagonists are going to have to face in Dave's movie, or maybe they are the ones who take down Thrawn's uh, remaining remnants of the Empire, um, and then the New Republic has to face off or mainly battle with the Night Sisters. So it's going to be interesting. And what's cool about this is it's brought up a lot of uh, interesting theories, um, some from our listeners that we'll get to at the end, but just a lot of different crazy ideas that this can maybe mean for the story moving forward. But yeah, such uh, a big line of dialogue right there it just changes your perspective on certain things as far as where we previously thought uh, the story was going to go with the Night Sisters. Yeah, definitely um, opens up a lot of possibilities for the future. Um but yeah, you know, they they kind of just have this this brief conversation and then they you know hit the ground running again and they're headed for the fortress and for the ship and uh Thrawn, you know, sees them coming on the scanners and I think he says like rain hellfire on yeah. them. <laughs> um and we get I was just talking in the last episode too about how much I love seeing ships with turbo lasers and like orbital bombardments and stuff like that it's something that we so rarely get to see in like especially in live action star wars um and so this was just really cool having them you know racing towards the fortress as these star destroyer lasers are just pummeling the ground all around them kicking up fire and dirt and explosions and everything and they narrowly make it inside the fortress by the skin of their teeth um so that was just really cool to see um again it, even on kind of a small scale i know these aren't big battles or anything it's just kind of you know thrawn and his forces trying to stop these three jedi um but seeing him at his hollow table and doing his tactical maneuvering and or, or uh, ordering orbital bombardment strikes and you know all this kind of stuff it's cool to see thrawn in his element um kind of doing his thing tactically and i can't wait till we get to see that on a bigger scale um you know, on the big screen in a movie in a, a big space battle or something. But, you know, all that's been really fun to see so far. This was absolutely awesome. And probably one of the more underrated aspects of this episode when it comes to action. Because like I said, it was short, but man, was it very sweet. Just visually seeing the blaster fire coming down from the Star Destroyer as Ahsoka, Ezra, and Sabine are just on the howlers trying to avoid those blasts. It just visually looked really, really cool. And then another kind of cool moment too is where Ahsoka being the leader just kind of issuing uh, like I don't want to say orders, it just sounds a little too strict, but you know, telling Sabine and Ezra uh how to go about this situation as far as uh, when she goes like Ezra, get the door, and then seeing how it's still moving slowly, and she goes, you know, Sabine, help him out. Um, just kind of really putting that faith in Sabine, even though she knows she's has been struggling with using the force, still having her in that moment to try to do what she can to help with getting that door open. I don't know if she helped with that at all, but still, it looked mm -hmm. it visually looked cool. Uh, we're just seeing, you know, Ma someone in Mandalorian armor use the force, and just to later on, we see her in like that lightsaber 
with her full Mandalorian getup with the helmet. It looks so cool. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. we've seen we've seen Din do it before with the dark saber, but to have this a traditional green bladed lightsaber um, being held by a Mandalorian, it just looks awesome. So um, that was cool. But also too, I think Thrawn might have had the coolest line of dialogue in this moment. You alluded to it where he goes rain hellfire upon them there shall be no negotiation with the apprentice of anakin skywalker yeah that was just like so cool just again showing that fear he has of anakin knowing that he is darth vader what his padawan could be capable of of doing and thwarting his plans so it was just a really cool bit of dialogue like not just rain hellfire but no like there's no way I'm negotiating with the Padawan of Anakin Skywalker. It's so cool. Yeah. And he's just no negotiation, but also you like, he's taking no chances. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's not like, Oh, order cannon one seven B to target a precision strike. It's like, no, just open fire with everything we've got. <laughs> like we are not get, giving, you know, them any chance to try to get on here. Um, and that and that look he has when he knows they made it through. <laughs> yeah, like the trying. way that his lip is yeah. kind of twitching. And, you know, you could tell he's both like he's trying to maintain his composure, but he's both pissed off and a little scared. Um, That's probably the most frustrated we're ever going to see Thrawn. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, because if you think back to Rebels, like you see him lose. You see him on the brink of losing it a couple of times. Um, there's an episode where, uh, I don't remember if it's Lieutenant List or, you know, some officer that's under him. Um, and he's trying to talk about like the, maybe it's like the Twilight Calicories or something. And, you know, being his usual methodical, like, oh, we got to study the culture and the art and the stuff to understand our enemies. And he's like, I don't understand. Like, why not just shoot them? Like, it's not that important. And Thrawn like gets angry and like grabs him by the collar and gets right up in his face. And then he kind of like lets him go and, and collects his composure again. And he's like, you know, my apologies. I forget that not everyone is as like sophisticated as I am or something like that. <laughs> um, so it was cool to see like a little bit of that too, because as much as Thrawn is always, you know, just the measured, calm, cool, collected mastermind type, like, you know, again, seeing that fear and seeing the apprentice of Anakin Skywalker get under his skin a little bit. It was cool to, to see yeah. those cracks <laughs> start to show a little bit. At least maybe the most frustration we've seen in him in like an actual battle scenario. <laughs> yeah, he's trying yeah. To defeat his opponent. Um, and then uh, you know, but yeah, so they make it through the door. Uh, they get into you know the the main entryway of the fortress, um, and are immediately swarmed by the night troopers. Um, and they had oh you know before this too, it was like Morgan was addressing them and saying like oh the blessings of the mothers will protect you and stuff. Um, and they had maybe like 30 troopers or so that basically volunteered to stay behind to, uh, to stop Ahsoka and Sabine and Ezra from getting to them, um, kind of knowing that they were going to be sacrificing themselves and that they wouldn't get to escape. Um, cause Thrawn says like, oh, you, you made them aware. Right. Um, and Morgan is like, yes, they were all honored to make the sacrifice for you, Grand Admiral. And he says, you know, it's for the, it's for the empire. Um, you know, it's interesting to see, um, and I'm sure we'll get into more of this as we see more of Thrawn, but interesting to see his motives. And I know this has kind of been a point of contention, at least, especially among people that have read the more recent Thrawn novels, where there's all this backstory with the Chiss, and Thrawn has all his own motives for, like, you know, he's working with the Empire, but really all he wants is, like, the good of his own people and stuff like that. Um, 
And at least what we've seen of him in live action so far, he seems to be very much on board with just the cause of the empire and the, you know, restoring order to the galaxy and the whole long live the empire mantra and everything like that. Um, but I mean, for me, like I've only read, I think the first like one and a half of the more recent Thrawn books. Um, and that was the first trilogy that that came out around the time he was introduced in Rebels. And I haven't read the newer trilogy. So, I mean, for me, this stuff all, you know, seems fine. And I think, uh, you know, it's all working out great so far. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I wonder if, you know, eventually maybe we'll get into some of his motives as far as like the Chiss ascendancy or any of that kind of stuff. And I like I trust Dave Filoni because I know he's said that like he has directly consulted with Timothy Zahn on this stuff and made sure that he wants to kind of honor his uh, ideas and intentions for the character and stuff. And so anything that we see with Thrawn on screen, I know that it's not just coming directly from Dave, but that also, I wouldn't say it's also coming directly from Timothy's on, but like that at least Dave is kind of keeping him in the loop or consulting with him on things. Um, but I'm just really excited to see Thrawn get back and kind of see what it's like with, with him leading all these Imperial remnants and see him with Paleon and Hux and all these guys is going to be really cool. Um, but even you know, seeing just that they're they're leaving these troopers behind to uh, to kind of be the vanguard and sacrifice themselves um, in order to buy time for everybody else to escape. And I did think it was interesting too. I mean, it kind of shows a little bit of Thrawn's. Um, I don't know if I I don't know if nobility is the right word, but again, he's not like this sadistic scheming you know mustache twirling bad guy like even just the fact that he at least has enough respect for his troops that he told yeah. morgan like hey you made sure they were aware that like they're not coming with us right um because he very easily could have been like oh, oh troopers i need you to go hold them off real quick we'll wait for you and then just take off and leave mm -hmm. them but the fact that he at least you know has enough respect for his troops as a leader um to you know make sure that they they understand what he's asking of them and be transparent like that um kind of shows why his troops respect him as much as they do and why they would be chanting his name as he's uh you know emerging for the first time as we saw a couple episodes ago so i thought you know those were just some good uh getting a little bit of, a little bit of good insight into his character and uh just sort of what he's like yeah i always loved that about thrawn and that would be probably why these troops volunteer and were willing to stay behind and sacrifice themselves to let Thrawn and the rest escape there. So always appreciated that about Thrawn, again, showing how different he is from other Imperial officers that we're just so familiar with uh, in Star Wars. So it's just such a refreshing uh, characteristic to see amongst the Imperials, <laughs> even though he's yeah. a bad guy. But Because you certainly wouldn't expect that from like Tarkin. Definitely um, not. No. <laughs> yeah. Or even, I was going to say even Vader, but like Vader would just straight up tell you, like, you're getting left behind. You have no choice. Go stop the Jedi. Yeah. And if you say, no, I'm going to force choke you. He's not going to um, lie about it, but he's not going <laughs> to be, like, remorseful. He's going to tell you straight. That's yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, it's like Lord Farquaad from Shrek when he says, some of you may die, <laughs> but it is a sacrifice I am willing to make. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, so then, you know, of course, the Ahsoka and Sabine and Ezra get into the fortress. They're surrounded by the night troopers um, who stayed behind to stop them. And we just get, you know, this really cool sequence where you get the three of them all in action with the lightsabers ignited. 
um, just deflecting a bunch of blaster bolts. And then, like you said, Ahsoka kind of going into like battlefield general mode, kind of giving orders. And she's like, Sabine, get your blasters out. You know, and she's like, Ezra over here. And yeah. <laughs> um, she like her and Ezra kind of move up in front. Sabine's behind them with the blasters, you know, taking out troopers. And then she and Ezra move up and start slashing through the troopers and stuff. And just some great action stuff here. Um, no surprise because we know Rick Famuyiwa is, uh, you know, has directed some of the best like action packed episodes of these shows so far. Um, and always just, you know, delivers on, on some great, exciting stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, also just the fact that it was like in this dark room. And so of course the lightsabers ignited in the dark always looked really cool. Um, seeing them take out all these troopers and they're getting to, uh, you know, Sabine's getting to kind of use her blasters and her lightsaber and you get Ahsoka and Ezra like using their force powers and uh, you know, just like sort of the first time we've seen all three of them really fighting together as a squad and getting to see all these Jedi powers and lightsabers in action together and stuff was awesome. Um, there's one move that they do, you know, at the end of sort of this first wave of the battle where Ezra, you know, takes out a couple troopers and then he reaches out to use the force and like he he grabs two troopers and uses the force to pull them towards them. And Ahsoka with her two yeah. lightsabers like <laughs> slashes both of them as they go past her and ends in, you know, just this really cool pose with her lightsabers crossed. And I was like, oh, heck yeah, this is, you know, it's just awesome <laughs> seeing um, the three of them work together like that, um, which is really cool stuff. Yeah, so cool. But um, if I could get one of my nitpicks out of the way here. Uh, it started off a little sluggish, I will say. This action sequence—I mean, the way they were deflecting those lights or those blaster shots—just seemed a little too slow for me. Maybe just used to kind of how Ahsoka does it in animation. But even in the Mandalorian episode where she was deflecting a lot of blaster bolts, it's set more normal, normal speed or what you used to for her as a Jedi to do. But for this, it just seemed, I don't know, especially in the first few shots, it's like really slow pace, like they were practicing and just like we're gonna speed up the blaster uh, a, a few notches before they really got going. But um, mm. once they got into the actual battle of actually fighting the stormtroopers, it was just really cool to see, like you said. Um, Ahsoka kind of being the commander once again. I just thought it was a really cool touch of having Sabine, knowing she's still not proficient with a lightsaber just yet. Because you even kind of saw it where she was trying to deflect with it, but at the same time she was using her Beskar armor to do some of the mm -hmm. deflecting as well. And then Ahsoka just tells her, Sabine, go to blasters and then Ezra to move up. So just really good teamwork there and just made for some really great action once they got into actually attacking the stormtroopers. It was just such a sight to behold. I mean, green, blue, white lightsabers in action together at the same time. How could that not look uh, visually cool? And then also, too, just as an aesthetic, you mentioned uh the temple that they're in or the fortress. I love the look of it, especially when they're running up the stairs. It really felt like they were in a medieval castle, like a, a castle mm -hmm. you'll see in a fantasy story. And just that visual of that fantasy element. Um, again, this is what Peridia has been so far, all the elements that it has. Like Balin was mentioning before it even got there. And it's really delivering on that. Just that look of Jedi with their lightsabers ignited in this medieval looking style castle. There's just something really cool about that and stormtroopers chasing them. Was, I just loved everything about the aesthetic of the sequence that they were fighting these stormtroopers here. Yeah, definitely. It reminded me a little bit of uh, Maz's castle on Pacodana um, with like the spiral staircases and stuff. Having, bit, yeah. played, having fought through those in Battlefront. Um, <laughs> and I got to admit seeing, you know, some of these, these action scenes with, uh, you know, like 
30 stormtroopers and they're all in like crowded hallways in this castle and stuff. And I'm thinking, <laughs> man, the kill streaks I could get with this. <laughs> right. Um, I saw somebody on Twitter say like, oh, you know, this it was like somebody posted a, a GIF or a screenshot or something of, of one of those action scenes. And somebody was like, man, this part reminded me of a video game. But like, I mean that in the best way possible. Um and I was like, yeah, I definitely got some of that feeling, too, because, again, something about, you know, just a bunch of sort of weak, low level enemies all crowded together in a cramped space. Yeah. I'm like, oh, how many of those can I take out with one force push? Um, we're, so, we're yeah, it's like hero mode in live action right here from Battlefront. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like totally had like a, a fantasy sort of, um, just fantasy adventure type feel. And I mean, this whole series has, but really, especially the stuff on Peridia, um, you know, again, when you get, you know, just characters journeying through desolate wastelands and you get castles and fortresses and witches and, you know, ancient mythology and all this kind of stuff. It was all just so cool. Um, and then speaking of witches, <laughs> you know, they, they take out all the stormtroopers and then you got the three great mothers up on top of the fortress. Um, you know, they all join together and start chanting and raising their hands. And uh, you're like, oh, we got some night sister magic coming through here. And we had we had speculated, you know, with these night troopers, like, are they undead? Have they already been raised by the night sisters? Um but no, we actually got to see that here after Ahsoka and Sabine and Ezra had already cut down all these troopers. Then you see kind of this green mist descend upon them as the Night Sisters are all chanting and they start reanimating. Um, and you know, I, I was gonna say come back to life. I guess they're not really alive, but you know, they get back up and keep coming after them. And then as they're shooting them and cutting them down again, they just keep coming. Um, but man, it was just Again, after getting, you know, the teases of the witches and stuff, like to see full on Night Sister magic resurrecting stormtroopers was just crazy. Made me to think back to that old, um, there's an EU novel called Death Troopers um, that's about essentially like zombie stormtroopers. I never actually read it, but, you know, again, just that concept of like undead stormtroopers is just a fun thing to play with. Um, I love some of the visuals of like some of the troopers that got reanimated. You could see like the green fire, like yes. through mm. the eye holes in their helmets. Um, so it was just really cool. And then, you know, then to see, uh, the heroes, you know, just sort of retreating up the castle steps, fighting these, you know, this horde of undead stormtroopers coming at them. Um, it was just, you know, it was, it was really cool. It was really fun. It reminded me of something straight out of like rebels or clone wars, um, oh yeah, <laughs> and I think you know. It, again, I don't know if I said it earlier, but like, there's this finale was definitely not what I was expecting, and maybe what I was hoping for, but gave me still a lot of stuff that I loved that I just wasn't anticipating. And while I was maybe expecting a lot of like lore-heavy mythology type stuff with Balin and his quest and everything, instead we get jedi fighting zombie stormtroopers through a castle and it was like man how can you just like not love this it's just pure you know fun star wars action so it was really cool yeah was it a huge surprise that we saw the stormtroopers come back as reanimated zombies no was it awesome yes <laughs> just seeing their reactions to it and then just trying to take them out and then sabine's blast of fire would hit him but it would have no effect of the stormtroopers keep kept getting up and just kind of 
to a point almost where it could have become overwhelming. I mean, the lightsaber was obviously still able to take him down, but um, some were still able to just get up and just kind of become an overwhelming force till Ahsoka had to tell him, you know, just shut the door or hit the, the controls to shut the blast door. So it was just a cool visual. Like you said, the seeing the green eyes should be shown through the stormtrooper lenses, through the helmets. It just looked really cool. I kind of wish it would just stay that, like that for all of them as we saw them moving around. And just, yeah, just something really different, especially in live action Star Wars, because we've gotten a taste of this in Clone Wars, obviously, a little bit in Rebels. But to kind of see what this actually happened to Stormtroopers with their cool helmet designs was just a sight to see. And it's kind of something where, for those unfamiliar with Clone Wars and Rebels and like the Night Sisters, Night Sisters and all that, how they'd react is like if it's like such a big departure for Star Wars. I mean, I probably would have taken a bit for me to get used to with like zombies and stuff in star wars doesn't seem to fit but how lucas decided to establish it in clone wars we're bringing in the nice sisters and what they can do um this kind of it it made sense as we get to this point now where we're used to this type of stuff happening in star wars where it didn't feel like something that's such out of left field but i wonder if it did for some fans or for those watching who aren't too familiar with uh the stuff being in the star wars universe but um yeah it was definitely something that uh, was totally unique to anything we've seen at live action star wars before it just it made for a fun sequence and just uh, again for some more fun moments between ezra and sabine that moment where ezra kind of gets overwhelmed with some where two zombie stormtroopers are just are holding him and he's unable to take him out and sabine can't get a clear shot and so she just takes her lightsaber out and just moves in and cuts them down <laughs> so good or ezra just goes um like nice moves and then or i think as soka says you've been practicing or that ezra says that's like some nice no moves. so like i i think so sabine takes out the trooper but then i think she like deflects some blaster bolts from some other ones like coming up the stairs okay. um before ahsoka then like comes up behind them and like closes the door or something and then yeah ezra's like oh nice moves and ahsoka says uh oh she's been training and then sabine right. turns yeah. to, and sabine turns to ezra and is like yeah what's your excuse yeah um <laughs> it's not like i miss you yeah <laughs> just like yeah yeah, yeah it was Great banter was, they've had at Rebels. <laughs> yeah, that was such a Rebels moment. I also love that, like, I mean, I think Natasha Lubordizzo has been doing a great job playing Sabine up to this point anyways, but there was something about that banter coming out, like, with the helmet on, where it was like, oh, that sounds like Sabine. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and I know, you know, it's fine that she doesn't sound exactly like Tia Sirkar, but um, something about her making a quippy remark towards Ezra, like coming through the helmet, like it sounded the most like Sabine that she's sounded in the series up to mm. this point. Um, so yeah, that was really cool. Um, you said something before that, that I was gonna, uh, make a response to, and I already forgot what it was, but I was talking um, about how getting this type of like star wars moment or like stuff with the zombie stormtroopers and live action for the first time if it might be throw off some viewers maybe who aren't too familiar with clone wars or rebels kind of knowing the stuff already exists in the star wars universe i don't know if that was something you wanted to piggyback yeah on. no that that was what i was going to bring up because i mean you're right that might be off-putting for some people but at the same time i feel like maybe that was part of the thing of like you know okay the night sisters are wiped out in our galaxy but we go and find some you know this offshoot clan that's living in a, diff a distant galaxy and we're going to bring them back to dathomir but it's like 
I feel like even if you're not super familiar with all the intricacies of the the Star Wars universe and you haven't seen, you know, the animated shows and stuff, if you've seen the movies and you know enough to kind of get a general sense of like, okay, the Star Wars that we know and are familiar with, and then you see these characters heading off to a completely different galaxy, you're probably expecting to see something weird and different there. Um, so I feel like that's like, if anything, something that people might not be familiar with or might think is weird, like night sister witches that can resurrect the dead, you know, introducing them in a separate galaxy is probably a good place to do that because it's like, Oh, well it would make sense that there's some weird stuff over here that we've never seen before in the main galaxy. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. It would be interesting to see if that was, you know, off-putting for anybody, or if there's some people that are like, oh, that's just too weird. I mean, I've even heard a couple reactions from some people who like are diehard Star Wars fans, and they're like, oh, that's just one aspect of it that I never really loved or connected with, or it just always seemed kind of too weird for me. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I thought again, just the way they used it, I thought made for some fun, cool action sequences, and I think it was uh, you know, as good a time and place as any to introduce them being you know, in this, this whole other galaxy where anything could happen. Yeah. And for those who still kind of aren't familiar with the kind of more crazy aspects of Star Wars that we've got in Clone Wars and Rebels, strap yourselves in because it looks like we're going to be getting more of that <laughs> in future live action stories. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, oh man, Dave just can't keep his hands off those Mortis gods, can he? Um, uh, thank goodness too. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, so yeah, you know, they, they, fight their way up they're getting away from the zombies and meanwhile you know as thrawn is kind of keeping tabs on things um i think he you know he gets a report from enoch on how things are progressing and then he turns to morgan and he's like the jedi are uh you know they're, they're climbing the tower quicker than we would like um and you know we're gonna need a little more time and just you know kind of gives her this look that you know it's like he doesn't have to say it outright but again he's basically asking of her like we need you to stay behind as well and, and make sure that we see this thing through and that they don't get here and stop us um and you know she she kind of just has this solemn look and she's like i understand and it kind of sucks because you know then thrawn walks away and then like all the great mothers walk right past her too <laughs> like after having just inducted her as one of them and giving her their powers and everything now it's like all right bye thanks for uh <laughs> thanks for bringing us a ride out of here you know good luck stopping the the jedi um and again thrawn says you know for the empire and and as he walks away morgan kind of says to herself for dathomir um which again i mean again we we kind of already knew this but it's almost like thrawn is doing this for his you know his own goals of restoring the empire but it's like now Morgan is almost more aligned with the great mothers and their intention of uh, restoring Dathomir and the, the night sisters and however they're planning to do that. So, um, you know, she's, she's sort of willing to make the sacrifice for her sisters and her culture and everything. Um, and she heads off to uh, go down and stop them. And as Ahsoka and Sabine and Ezra get, you know, closer to the top of the tower, they come into this chamber uh, where, Morgan confronts them and Ahsoka tells Sabine and Ezra to go ahead and she's going to stay here and, and deal with Morgan. Um, and of course, Ahsoka ignites her lightsabers. Morgan brings out the flaming green, you know, blade of Talzin and they launch into just an awesome duel. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> I kind of wish it was longer, but like in terms of just the the fight choreography, I mean, this was some of the most impressive stuff we've ever seen. And I love how stylistically different it was too. I mean, I know mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about um, how some of these fights are staged, you know, very much like an homage to old samurai films and stuff. And especially Ahsoka and Morgan's first confrontation in their episode in The Mandalorian, where Morgan had the Beskar spear. And it was a lot more kind of like slow and intentional and, um, you know, them kind of like measuring each other up and each strike being very sort of like intentional and precise and Again, um, you know, going back to Dave's love of samurai films and especially, it, you know, it being set in this, you know, like the inner sanctum of, of Morgan's kind of castle there that was very much like Japanese Zen garden kind of looking thing. Um, but if that was a samurai film, this was more like a kung fu movie. Like <laughs> this was like like something right out of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, um, where it was just fast, frantic, like fancy footwork like almost like a dance and they're just going back and forth across the room and they're just holding on these long wide shots where you see you know all of the movement and the choreography and it's not like a bunch of quick cuts in between to kind of hide things it was like i don't whether that was actually diana diana lee and osanto and rosario dawson doing all of that or whether it was their stunt doubles like somebody put in a heck of a lot of work on that um but I loved it because also, I mean, a lot has been made of the fact that like Diana Lee and Osanto, who plays Morgan Elsbeth, is Bruce Lee's goddaughter. And like her dad was like close friends with Bruce Lee and they trained together in martial arts. And I that was it was sort of implied that like that was kind of why she got the role as this character was for her martial arts training and her physicality and stuff. Um, and we've really only seen her get to showcase that once in that Mandalorian episode. And it was, I mean, to be honest, wasn't that impressive of a fight. I mean, it was cool seeing Ahsoka sort of in action for the first time in live action. Um, But I feel like pretty much every lightsaber duel so far in this show has surpassed that one. And now getting to see her do her thing with the flaming sword and doing all this much more, you know, kind of fast, flashy, like fancy choreography and footwork and everything. I'm watching this going, oh, this is why they hired her. Like, you know, final episode of the season and they're finally letting uh you know letting diana unleash her inner bruce lee in this fight basically so um yeah it was really cool and uh i would say surprising i mean it wasn't a surprise that we saw her in action with that sword i mean when she gets that at the beginning of the episode you get figure that's gonna play a big role somehow but um yeah once this fight got going i was like oh man i was not expecting to see this so that was it was some great stuff yeah, this fight was just so cool and so different. And like you said, probably the best choreographed fight that we've got in the live action TV series so far. It was just on another level. And not to say if it was my favorite lightsaber fight that we've gotten in the Star Wars live action series yet. Obviously, the final one between Obi-Wan and Vader. And then even Balin and Ahsoka in this one was great, but all for kind of like yeah. different reasons. And even Anakin and Ahsoka. Right, <laughs> that too. I <laughs> but, mean, just getting to see Hayden Christensen swing it again. Yeah, but as far as like showing like if your skill on display, this one was top notch. Of just seeing what they were doing, and you hit the nail on the head of why, a big reason why I like it so much. A lot of wide shots. That's when lightsaber duels are at their best when they stay on them for a bit, and you just got these wide shots of both opponents going at it. It was just really cool. Like you said, I mean, the fight itself between Morgan 
and Ahsoka was pretty long once they get to the top of the fortress. But in this particular moment here where they're going at it, it would have been nice if it was a little longer because I really think this is where, yeah, they were letting their skills shine. It was just really, really cool. And kind of like you said, going back to um, the Mandalorian season two episode where it was a little more slow paced, intentionally so, and uh, they were kind of sizing each other up and maybe even to like Ahsoka not really wanted to go all out. She doesn't want to, kill Morgan there. She needs her alive to get information on where Thrawn's at. But that's not the case here where <laughs> they need to stop Thrawn from escaping. Mm-hmm. And she's not going to let anyone stop her from doing that. So she was just going all out here and just kind of showing what she's capable of well as well, too, against Morgan. So it was just really, really cool. And, you know, I've seen some complaints about the choreography in this episode. I mean, I had my nitpick about the lightsaber uh, deflecting the blaster bolts being a little too slow, but I've seen like way too much over the top reactions as far as complaining about the choreography and the fighting in this episode. It's almost like they just watched that first section of them deflecting the lightsaber bolts and fighting the stormtroopers and didn't even make it to this lightsaber duel because there's no way you can say that this was a badly choreographed or just a bad action sequence when you mm-hmm. see them go at it in this moment. It was just really, really cool. Yeah, and it certainly was different from really any kind of lightsaber duel that we've ever seen before. And so, I mean, maybe that just threw some people off. But, like, man, just, again, the the choreography, the the technical skill of it all, like, it was mm-hmm. really, really impressive. And really cool to see them do something different stylistically. Um, it would make sense that a, a, night sace, a night sister wielding a flaming sword who's played by you know, an actress with a martial arts background um, is going to play out a lot different than like Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader or something. So, you know, it certainly was not like a traditional lightsaber duel, but just a really cool fight sequence. And, you know, kudos to the fight choreographers and Rick Famuyiwa and, you know, the, the actors and everybody involved. It was just, you know, absolutely fantastic. I loved it. Um, and meanwhile, as that fight is happening, uh, Sabine and Ezra go up to the roof and get ambushed by a couple of dark troopers, or sorry, uh, my my apologies, Tim, not dark troopers, oh, death troopers. You caught yourself um, before I had to correct you, so good job. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and it's funny because you mentioned like, oh, back in Rebels, you know, th- there were like a couple of uh, death troopers on that ship that Ezra you know, tried to stop Ezra from getting to Thrawn or whatever. Like, I wonder if they're still there. And sure enough, there's just two oh, of yes. them. And they've still, <laughs> they've got the cracks and the gold patchwork just like everybody else. Um, but they are, you know, big tanky brutes that, you know, uh, Sabine and Ezra have a hard time taking down and Sabine's blasters are just bouncing off their armor. Ezra tries to stab one of them and they just keep on going. Um, and then, of course, you realize that these guys are already dead which then does kind of lend some credence to that question of like oh well how many of the night troopers like have been dead the entire time or are just like you know sort of undead i don't think it's all of them um in fact i would wager that it's probably not most of them um because even even the ones that you know go down to the lobby to um you know fight the jedi when they first come in it's like they all get taken down and they stay down and then once they get resurrected with the Night Sister magic, then it's like you take them down and they just keep coming. Um, 
And so it's like, well, why, you know, why would they have gone down in the first place if they were already undead? So I think maybe it was something with just the death troopers. Like maybe they, maybe they did die in the, you know, when the Pergil brought the ship there in the first place or Ezra killed them or something like that. And uh, maybe they were like the first things that Thrawn had the Night Sisters resurrect and he just wanted to have these couple of undead death trooper guards or something like that. But regardless, these things are, you know, they're menacing, they're hard to take down, they're kind of freaky, especially once, you know, <laughs> Sabine, well, like one of them hoists Sabine up in the air and she's just like, you know, she gets her blaster and she's shooting it like point blank in the face and like breaking away chunks of the helmet and you you kind of see like the undead face underneath and just this kind of zombified jaw that's like just kind of howling at her. Um but you know they they get Sabine pinned up against the wall. She loses the lightsaber, and then finally has her moment where you know it's do or die. She's got to use the force to get her saber back. And uh, sure enough, you know she reaches out, she trusts in herself, and she's able to use the force and and call her lightsaber to her and stabs the Death Trooper through the head. Um, and then meanwhile, Ezra fighting the other one, he's also like been knocked down and lost his lightsaber, but he he uses the force, calls his saber back to him, and just does this really cool shot where like it it kind of steps back behind a pillar as Ezra swings up at his neck, and then just the severed head rolls <laughs> out from behind the pillar on the other side. Um so yeah, just you know, again, cool fight sequence, cool to see undead death troopers in action. I was watching this the whole time going, Oh, I know Tim is loving this right now. <laughs> um it, again, now they really are death troopers, like yes. li living up to the name more than any death troopers before them. Um, but uh yeah, and then of course the big thing, you know, seeing Sabine finally get to use the force for the first time, and we we knew it would happen. Um, at least I figured it would, you know, by the end of the series, kind of paying off on the, the setups from the beginning and the times that she was trying to use it and didn't quite get there. Um, and I'm sure some people are maybe still going to feel some type of way about somebody that hasn't been sort of established as a force user or having, you know, force sensitivity or whatever, being able to use the force. But I think they've done enough over the course of the series to really plant that idea that like, yes, natural talent plays a factor. Um, but still, you know, if you're if you train hard enough and you're open to it and, uh, you know, willing to learn and willing to, you know, just be be focused and dedicated and, um, you know, devote yourself to to learning about it and everything um, that, you know, you can do it. Um, and even people have pointed out, like, you know, I mean, they they kind of planted the seeds for this even back in Rebels with her training with the Darksaber and everything. But um there's even interviews with george from like back during the time period of the original trilogy where um you know he kind of said as much um and then it would seem that he kind of reversed course on that during the prequels by introducing the whole idea of midi-chlorians and everything but um yeah i kind of like that uh yeah at least for sabine like i i think it's a cool story idea i will have to see how much that's used going forward because now it's kind of like well technically every you know anybody could use the force but obviously like most characters are not going to um and we've seen you know how much of a challenge it was for sabine even having trained under you know two different jedi um and taken you know years of practice at it and everything so it was nice to see all that work and everything that she's been through, you know, finally pay off in this moment. 
um, and have her, you know, just be able to get the saber and have that kind of triumphant victory over the Death Trooper there. Um, and it'll be interesting to see now going forward, you know, how much we see that uh, with her and sort of how, like, what what the ceiling of her potential is and how powerful of a Jedi we'll see her become. Yeah, I don't have much to say on the sequence. We can move on. No. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, mad because the Death Troopers got taken out. <laughs> no, this was just such a cool surprise to get an, an active sequence I was not expecting, but boy, did I love it. I mean, just seeing before this, we even got to this moment, I believe it was when Thrawn was telling Morgan that she was going to have to stay. We saw those Death Troopers behind him. I was like, okay, cool. Yes, I knew there had to be some Death Trooper survivors on on his Star Destroyer once they got taken out. Because I know I go back to that moment right before Ezra and Thrawn get taken by the Purgle where a Death Trooper tries to get in there and Ezra just force pushes him and shuts the blast door. He doesn't actually kill or shoot him. but So I knew there had to be some alive. But um, they weren't alive for very long because obviously uh, the Night Sisters use their magic on them to make them literal death troopers and boy was that an awesome sight to see i mean just seeing them kind of almost be that unstoppable force that um death troopers are supposed to be and i've said before like the way they were handled in rebels i was very disappointed with not just hearing them actually speak but just their almost being like regular stormtroopers and not showing that they were any different or more of an elite type of trooper than normal stormtroopers in Star Wars Rebels. But here, this is how they're supposed to be, even more so being um, undead here and just seeing how whatever Sabine and Ezra were throwing at them, they could take it. I mean, just the sheer force and brutality that they had, just punching Ezra and Sabine, throwing Ezra across <laughs> the tower, just really showing just what an unstoppable force they could be. And it was just really cool, again, just to see Death Troopers be literal death troopers in this moment and seeing an action like this and in a whole new way it was just awesome and yeah you can safely assume that i was very happy at seeing the scene unfold and of course i knew they had to be taken down but i'm just so glad it wasn't so easily as we saw um in certain instances here um and it was just cool too how when sabine used the force and got the lightsaber and just ignited it real quick through his head and he just saw the color of the blade just shined green through his eyes. And we know the Death Troopers have a green tint in their helmets anyway, but to see it shine bright like that looked really cool visually. Um, it always reminded me, too, of the bit where Ray throws Kylo uh, the lightsaber and he just ignites it real quick in the Praetorian guard's face. It was just like an instant, and then he turns it off. But it was obviously a deadly blow, and that's how it was here, just going straight through the head of the Death Trooper, but having his helmet look cool with those bright green eyes. <laughs> so yeah, it was just an awesome moment. And then how, how you talked about too, the way it was shot, how Ezra took down uh, his death trooper taking off his head, but we don't see it actually happen as he was behind that uh, pillar right there. But then we see the head roll off. So yeah, it was just cool. It was a death trooper action sequence that I was not expecting to get, but it's a totally different one. And it was just really awesome. I absolutely loved it. And yeah, but then also too, the other big thing, uh, well, I shouldn't say the other big thing, because this probably is the big thing in this sequence, regardless of how much I love Death Troopers, was seeing Sabine use the Force for the first time. And I, I was with you where I was expecting it to happen at some point in the series, probably towards the end. And yeah, I thought it was it worked really well, because as you mentioned, we I felt like you did, they did a great job of laying out just how difficult it actually is and just how much of a struggle it was for her to finally kind of 
trust in herself and trust in the force as ahsoka told her before they headed out to try to stop thrawn and she just really took that lesson to heart right here because as it was <laughs> do or die as he was about to get choked out by that death super and she really had to trust the force in this instance and like i kind of take it too in certain instances where it's like it's almost like a feeling or an instinct that kicks in if you are uh, attuned to the force because i kind of felt this way too about leia in the last jedi where she gets sucked out into space and she seemed to be for the most part unconscious there but it was just like that survival instinct in her kicked in to use the force to save herself in that moment and obviously sabine isn't as strong with the force as leia is but just kind of that same scenario where it would kick in to have it where when you really need to use it and you're really trusting in it because this could be a life or death situation that's where uh, she was able to finally like really make that connection with it and able to get uh, the lightsaber call to her and it didn't happen right away either it wasn't like it was an instant moment here it was still kind of a struggle for her to call it up to call the lightsaber into her hand um, but it, she finally did make that connection and it was just a cool moment and set up for another cool moment between her and Ezra but to finally see her make that connection uh, with the force was just a great payoff for what they established um, in the series from the very beginning and once we found out that Ahsoka was uh, taking her on as a Padawan so yeah just a really great sequence all the way around yeah definitely and then like you said it followed up by another cool moment where um you know, then the troopers are taken out and the ship is taking off and, you know, sort of the edge of the docking bay is getting further and further from where they are on the tower. And Ezra's like, man, I can't make that jump. And Sabine's like, yes, you can. Like, you go first and I'll I'll push you and then you pull me over. Um, and initially he's hesitant and he's like, I don't know. And she's like, Ezra, trust me, I can do this. He's like, all right. So he, you know, and, and as they're kind of hesitating, you know, the ship's getting a little further away. Um, but, you know, Ezra decides to trust her. He backs up to, you know, get a running start. And then he takes off. And I love just the sound design here. Like, I love the music and the way that the Force theme swells. But then also sort of like the the booming sound effect that happens, like, as they, they're using the Force. Like, first, as Ezra just kind of does, like, a Force-powered leap and, you know, sort of catapults himself off the platform towards the Star Destroyer. But you see him make it about halfway and start falling. And then Sabine reaches out and does a big force push and just launches him up mm -hmm. the rest of the way. And it's this big triumphant moment as you see him coming up to the ledge and then he falls just short and is like, ah, you know, kind of yells and, and falls back down. And you're <laughs> like, oh, wait, shoot, did he not make it? Um, but then you see, you know, he's he's barely hanging onto the edge and then he's able to pull himself up and take out the two stormtroopers that are waiting there. Um, Again, such a Star Wars Rebels moment and such an Ezra thing to like have this this you know epic sort of force moment, um, you know this this triumphant um, you know sort of heroic force moment that's almost undone by this like kind of goofy slapstick comedy moment where he like almost falls to his death, but then he barely manages to succeed. Um, so it was just really fun, really cool, really well done. The you know, the way the music swelled up during that moment. And again, seeing Sabine use the force in an even more powerful way and see her believing in herself, but also Ezra putting his trust mm -hmm. in her um, was just, it was really great. Um, and I love the way that whole thing played out. And then, uh, you know, you see uh, Ezra's like, all right, Sabine, come on, your turn. And she turns away from him and sees Ahsoka and, 
Morgan and the stormtroopers coming up and for a second turns back to go back to Ahsoka and then she kind of hesitates and then she runs back towards Ezra. Um, and then we see in a second which decision she made, but it, it did seem for a second like she was going to run back and go with him. Um, but yeah, just seeing him make that last minute kind of death defying leap uh, onto the onto the ship with Sabine's help was just really cool. Just a great, you know, great Star Wars moment right there. Yeah, it was great to see it between those two characters that we've known their history so well over the course of Rebels. And then obviously it was a great moment seeing them reunited, but now kind of seeing use the force in tandem together was that was just really cool. And then hearkening back to the move that Kanan and Ezra used to do where they would one would push the other and then as the other goes, they would bring the other around to do an attack. So it was a cool kind of throwback or homage to that. But again, this the importance of I feel Sabine really knowing that she can do it. And again, going back to do or do not, there is no try. She is definitely not trying here. She knows for a fact that she could do this as she tells Ezra, I mean, I could do this, like, trust me. And just to see her do it without any trouble and to make that final push to get Ezra onto the Star Destroyer was, was great. I will say it's kind of when Ezra got on there first and Sabine takes that look back, I knew right away, okay, she's not joining Ezra. I think Ezra's taking that trip back uh, to our galaxy solo because uh, even though they try to do a fake out to where it looks like Sabine is running to go jump on the Star Destroyer with Ezra, like there was no way that she wasn't going to come back and help Ahsoka <laughs> in that moment, um, which again is another great payoff to their relationship and how that's come kind of full circle to where it started at the beginning of the series. But yeah, just that moment between her and Ezra, both of them using the force and just just within herself trusting and knowing that she can do it here um it's just such a big step uh for her as uh, a padawan in training and as you mentioned earlier just going to be really great and fascinating to see how her training progresses later on and just kind of if it is something that she could grow beyond as far as like more force abilities or part of me is wondering is because you know that talent level isn't as isn't there as other jedi if um, this might be her limit to what her force capabilities are, or some like just force pulls and force pushes. So it's just going to be fascinating to see her journey as uh, as far as being trained as a Jedi goes, just to see kind of what uh, the limit of her potential is going to be. But definitely such a, a great and big moment for her, her here and getting Ezra on that Star Destroyer with the force. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you're right. Like as soon as she turned away from Ezra to go back, I was like, oh, she's staying with Ahsoka. But then, yeah, they have a little bit of a fake out moment where then she runs back and you're like, oh, what's she going to choose? Um, but then, you know, like we said, ah Ahsoka comes up with Morgan and the troopers and, you know, they're still going at it with their duel. Um, Ahsoka's now two for two in losing a lightsaber to Morgan in the, <laughs> in the first one in Mando. That's it was right, just one of, them, right. one of them getting flipped into the water. But this time she, uh, you know, once they make it up onto the roof, she pretty quickly slashes through one of her lightsabers with the sword. Um, so I wonder if maybe she's going to repair it or she'll do something new in the future. Or maybe we're only going to see Ahsoka with one lightsaber going forward. Well, um, thankfully, she has great resources to build a new, new lightsaber that is very true that is very true but i wonder also if rosario dawson was like hey i love playing ahsoka but like this du dual wielding lightsaber thing is hard can we get it down to just one 
Um, nah, I don't think Rosario would be like that. I think she loves it. <laughs> if it was a challenge, loves the challenge of it, or just the fact that she gets to use two lightsabers. I mean, how could you? Yeah, like I mean, she she did talk about how how challenging it was to learn to wield the two. I'm just wondering because we've already seen her lose a, a saber in a fight with Morgan. Granted, you know, the first time it wasn't permanent; like the lightsaber wasn't destroyed or anything. Um, I just wonder if this was like just a dramatic thing to try to make the fight not you know not seem too easy for ahsoka or if it was an intentional thing like okay going forward she's just gonna have one lightsaber now um but uh yeah so i mean you know morgan takes out one of her lightsabers but ahsoka is still fighting ferociously with the other one that she's got left um morgan kind of gets her backed into a corner and you know they see the ship taking off and she's like you know your friends are, are I mean, I'm assuming she says your friends are dead. So I'm like, I don't know if she thought the dark troopers got them or, or sorry, the death troopers. I don't know why I keep saying dark troopers. It's probably just the, the black <laughs> armor. They look dark. Yeah, there's just so many um, actual dead troop, death troopers now in this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if she just assumed the death troopers got them or if she knew that they were on the ship, but figured that Thrawn would catch them and execute them or something like that. But you know, she's like, your friends are dead. And now, you know, you're you, like, you'll die down here alone. And um, Sabine pops back out and she's like, but she's not alone. And uh, she starts using the lightsaber and the blaster to take out all the troopers. Ahsoka gets back up and keeps going at it with Morgan. And uh, soon enough, I mean, she does this really cool move where she kind of like pins morgan's sword down into the ground and then she takes it for herself and spins and slashes morgan across the torso with the lightsaber and the sword leaving like two slashes across her stomach that are like two different colors it's like you know just sort of the regular like lightsaber burn that we're used to seeing and then also this like flaming green magic slash um was just such an awesome way to end the fight um and meanwhile, uh, you know, seeing just some more great action with uh, Sabine, now very proficiently wielding both the blaster and the lightsaber <laughs> and, you know, protecting herself with her Beskar armor and just kind of using everything at her, at her disposal to take out these troopers. Um, but just, you know, again, sort of the culmination of this journey they've been on as master and apprentice and seeing how well they fight together um, has been really cool. And even the fact that, um you know the fact that she like her her main goal this whole time has been to be reunited with Ezra like now that he's safe and on his way home um she now is going to stay with her master and stick by her side and and you know have her back just like Ahsoka said she would have Sabine's back um so it was nice to see and it's nice to see them you know even though they uh well I guess we'll we'll still get to that because they maybe still have a chance to catch Thrawn with their ship but um you know end up seemingly having to stay behind on peridia um the fact that she at least made that choice to stay with her and that they're you know together as master and apprentice again just great great themes of just master and apprenticeship mm -hmm. and that bond that they share you know throughout this whole show um seeing it with even you know balin and shin but um so much of it emphasized with like anakin and ahsoka and now ahsoka and sabine and getting the references to kanan and ezra like i love just how much you really feel those relationships and that influence throughout the whole show. Yeah, it was great. I mean, was it a cliche moment of her coming back to help Ahsoka in this fight? Yeah. And even the dialogue saying like, no, she's not alone. Um, but it was still awesome. <laughs> it was just some cliche. She still just got to run with because they just like feel so right when <laughs> the story calls for it. So yeah, just having her come back and to 
fight alongside with her master again was just great to see. Um, because, well, I said again, but we never really saw that before because I mean, in episode four, obviously she was fighting Sin or Shin and Ahsoka was fighting uh, Maroc, um, but not necessarily fighting together. Here they were kind of like in the same battle fighting together where she was with the stormtroopers and Morgan, they were just all in the very close proximity. So just seeing them both take down their enemies together was just really cool. And just, again, it made me think about the line Hu Yang said in episode four, where he just goes, uh, you, I forget exactly what he says, but to the point where you both work well when you stay together. So like stay together. And this was the culmination of that and just seeing how uh, things do go better when they do stick together um, in this moment. But it just great uh, kind of resolution or coming full circle to their story and the arcs that they went on from the beginning of this series and just seeing how uh, estranged as they were and just kind of how they had to kind of mend fences and build that bridge to get back to being master and apprentice. So it was on full display right here. And when it comes to um, action and fighting wise, though, <laughs> it was on full display right here. And it was just really cool to see it. And yeah, the final bit of the duel between Ahsoka and Morgan was just awesome as well. <laughs> and some more cool moves on display, but the way Ahsoka took Morgan out, man, <laughs> it was kind of both brutal and cool at the same time just taking her sword and her lightsaber and just slashing her straight through the stomach and it was just yeah <laughs> ahsoka kind of just at her at her i don't know if i'm going to say peak uh she might still be at her peak but just kind of ahsoka at her best when it just comes to uh, her determination when she needs to win a fight um there's almost like no stopping her <laughs> when she's kind of has that focus and determination that she needs um in a lightsaber fight so um yeah just cool all the way around from just an action standpoint and just seeing the culmination of ahsoka and sabine's story arc as matt's and apprentice kind of come to fruition right here yeah it was awesome um yeah like, i mean like you said, it, it was nice seeing kind of, I guess it wasn't really a callback, but going along with that theme of what Hu Yang said about, you know, stick together um, and seeing how they really do work better together when, uh, you know, they're, they kind of have each other's back. They stay together and they, uh, you know, fully embrace those roles as master and apprentice. But uh, yeah, then um, they, they finish off the troopers uh ahsoka gets a ping on her comm and hu yang shows up with the ship that uh you know he's been able to fix up with the noti while they were fighting um so actually i guess they don't take out all the troopers because they they jump off no. the platform onto the ship as it's taking off and there there's this really cool shot of the ship rising up and them standing on it deflecting blasters with their lightsabers as the troopers are you know trying to shoot at them and meanwhile so thrawn is now up on the bridge of the uh the eye of Sion um with the great mothers and everything and uh you know as the ship is taking off he's like all right destroy the fortress and i love the you know the mothers kind of give him this look for a second like hang on that wasn't part of the deal yeah. <laughs> um but it's also like well you know you're leaving for another galaxy now so like you don't need it um but uh yeah again thrawn willing to you know, burn everything behind them and like do everything in his power to make sure that Ahsoka doesn't come after them. Um, and so he's bombarding the fortress stuff's crumbling as Ahsoka and Sabine are running for the ship. Um, 
and they, you know, they get to it, they take off, they're deflecting the blaster bolts as the troopers are stuck there and the whole fortress just crumbles under them. So they get to the ship and they're, they're flying up through the clouds and, uh, you know, going after Thrawn and, you know, they like, I guess Thrawn and the, uh, everybody up there, they realize that the ship is coming after them. And so Thrawn's like, you know, open a comm line. Um, and again, has this great final conversation with Ahsoka where he's like, you know, you've been a worthy adversary and it's a shame we never got to meet face to face. And like, you know, I've never met you, but I know you because I know your master. And then he has this great line where he's like, you know, because I, I knew him, like I knew that your strategy would be unpredictable and, and, you know, you would kind of fight just like him or whatever. And he's like, one wonders just how similar you might become. Um, and I think I don't think that was necessarily supposed to be like foreshadowing or anything, because, again, if anything, if there was any real like darkness or sort of concern for the direction Ahsoka was heading, I think that was kind of rectified with uh, episode five and, you know, her journey with Anakin in the world between worlds and everything. But just to have Thrawn kind of goad her into that and allude to the fact that he maybe knows that Anakin is Vader. That was kind of what I took mm -hmm. from that. Like, he doesn't say it directly, but again, saying like, oh, one wonders just how similar you might you might become, thinking like, oh, well, I know what happened to your master, and I wonder if you could maybe go down that same path. And then he's like, you know, today, victory is mine. Long live the Empire. And the Ring of Sion, or the, the Eye of Sion takes off into hyperspace, um, kind of, you know, throws uh, Ahsoka's shuttle into turmoil in its wake, just like they did with uh, the ghost and everything back you know, when they left the first time. And so, yeah, again, not surprised that Thrawn got away, but I was kind of surprised, like, wow, we really are leaving Ahsoka and Sabine stranded in this other galaxy. But as we were getting towards the end of this episode, I kind of figured that that might be the case, um, especially, like, once Ezra got on the ship and, and Sabine decided to stay behind, and I kind of figured, like, okay, we're running out of time. I don't think everybody's going to make it out of here. And we still haven't seen Balin and Shin. Like... And, you know, the one big thing that I was really hoping to see resolved coming into this episode being, you know, whatever this power was that Balin was after and, and sort of the resolution of his whole quest. Um, and as we got closer and closer to the end of the episode, it became more and more apparent that like, OK, we're not going to get to that. Like they're maybe saving that for later, which means somebody's probably going to end up stuck here so that we can have another season that just like takes place in this galaxy. Um but uh, yeah, there was just a great final conversation there between Thrawn and Ahsoka. And again, him being like, hey, you know, I congratulate you. You've been a great opponent, but today I win and, you know, jumps off into hyperspace. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was just a, a cool way to sort of wrap up the whole thing. But again, I love that um, just him kind of that sinister like suggestion of like oh yeah i knew i i know your master and i wonder <laughs> how much like him you really might end up being oh and he also says he's like maybe this galaxy is where a ronin such as yourself yeah. belongs um kind of you know hitting the nail right on the head there we know that they've been going for very much a you know ronin wandering samurai type vibe with ahsoka this whole time but um for him to you know call her that directly um, right before leaving her stranded and, and heading back into our galaxy was just uh, it was a great touch. Yeah, they got a lot closer than I was expecting they would as far as making it out. Yeah, and catching up to Thrawn because um, 
when Ezra got on the Star Destroyer, like I said, I knew right there when it was just him, they're not getting off this planet and kind of think they weren't going to make it as close as they did. But um, yeah, just almost like one final jab that Thrawn wants to throw at Ahsoka. Like you said, just kind of like, I know who your master is. I know what he became. And just kind of trying to stoke the fire a little bit was in Ahsoka. But what I think is great about it is even though maybe he thought he kind of maybe got under her skin about that and his final words or his parting words to her as he doesn't think he'll ever see her again or speak to her is going to stick with her uh, for a while and like kind of haunt her. But as we know, what she went through in Shadow Warrior, that's not going to be the case. She's moved beyond that. And maybe it could have stung a little bit hearing it in that moment, but she's not going to let it kind of define her or have it something that's going to hang over her head on, on her time stuck on Peridia, however long that's going to be. So that's kind of how I took it over the course of the series, how we saw when Bala never mentioned Anakin, it kind of <laughs> rubbed Ahsoka the wrong way and she didn't want to hear about it. But now um, it's something that she could obviously not the ideal situation to hear your enemy throw that back at you about your master becoming Darth Vader and much more or less than what he said, but not having that be something that's going to be an issue for her moving forward. Again, is like the point of the journey that we went on with Ahsoka here. So um, yeah, uh, like I said, didn't expect them to go as far as they did, but knew all along that they were going to be stranded on Peridia as we theorized and speculated on as far as being a strong possibility that not everyone was going to make it off uh, that planet and out of the galaxy. We thought, Thrawn was a foregone conclusion to get it out to get off there and and it was but um not necessarily knowing who was going to be remaining there because uh, it was a potential that all three of them could have been stuck on there which I'm glad wasn't the case because then it really would have made kind of their mission to stop Thrawn and rescue Ezra both a failure but they were successful in one of them and we'll get to more of that in the final scene here but um this moment I've actually seen Thrawn make it out of that galaxy was kind of a big triumphant moment for him <laughs> to finally get out of there after being in exile for so long and just being and succeeding too. He took all the precautions, he took all the necessary uh, measures to make sure Ahsoka did not stop him from leaving that planet and that galaxy, and he succeeded. Um, but yeah, I do agree to what you said, where he told the Star Destroyer to kind of destroy the the Citadel that the knights or the great mothers where their home was and just that look they gave them it was like what <laughs> so that makes me believe too that obviously they have their own ambitions and they're just kind of using each other for one means to an end to get what they want just get out of that galaxy but once they make it um they're both have their own agendas and i can see them maybe coming to blows or having some conflict um once both get established for what they were uh setting after Thrawn with the Empire and the Night Sisters with its restoring Dathomir. Um, they might regret helping each other out <laughs> later on uh, to see who merges the victor. But yeah, you could kind of see that um, they're not all happy with how Thrawn went about getting him off that galaxy. But still a great moment for Thrawn um, trying to get one final jab in there with Ahsoka, but then also too for Ahsoka not letting that um, bother her anymore as it would have in the beginning of this episode or the beginning of the series, I should say. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it did seem to kind of like annoy her a little bit. Yeah, like, in the know, moment. Thrawn, yeah. Thrawn, yeah, Thrawn starts talking and she's like, can you just like, can't you get me any more power so I can just get up, <laughs> you know, catch up to him and shut him up? Um, but yeah, no, it definitely didn't seem to like, you know, really get under her skin or or 
actually like edge her towards the dark side or anything like that. But um, again, just a cool, you know, a, a cool way of showcasing like how much Thrawn is in the know and can kind of get under people's skin and manipulate people like that. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, like you just said, and I kind of said this earlier, like I wasn't expecting this much of the episode to just be dedicated to them trying to stop Thrawn and uh wasn't expecting to see them get that close to maybe catching up to him and stopping him because i just figured it was a foregone conclusion that um he'd end up back in our galaxy um but uh yeah i mean it was i i loved all the stuff that they that we did get because again i thought maybe going into it that that wouldn't be that interesting of a story just because we kind of figured we knew where that part of it was headed um but they did end up you know, managing to still make that just, you know, fun and dramatic and, uh, you know, keep the tension up and really kind of make you wonder, like, who is going to make it out of here? And and are they going to get close to stopping Thrawn or anything like that? But then, of course, yeah, like I said, Ahsoka and Sabine are uh, left behind and they have to, um, you know, they go back to the planet and you get kind of this cool, almost almost an epilogue type sequence. It kind of reminded me of, you know, like the ending of Revenge of the Sith, where you kind of just see where all the characters ended up, um, where you see like Luke and Leia get taken back to the homestead and to Alderaan. You see uh, Padme's funeral and Vader, you know, standing with Palpatine, watching the Death Star being built. And even like the deleted scene where you would have seen Yoda go to Dagobah, um, where you see like, you know, Ahsoka and Sabine back on uh, Peridia with the Noti. You see... Uh, Thrawn and the Night Sisters, and you know, the Chimera and the Eye of Sion, and everything approaching Dathomir. And Captain Enoch confirms, you know, we're approaching Dathomir, Grand Admiral. And you see them start moving the pods and everything. Um, which I assume then, was an homage to Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mean, how could it not be with that wide shot of all of them? Like, oh, see, I didn't even think them. about that, but yeah, I think you're right. Um, but then you know, you also get uh, Ezra reuniting with Hera on board home one, you know, he takes uh Balin's shuttle. That was, it, it's quick. Cause I've seen some people be like, wait, how did he get that ship? Um, but you do see at least a couple of shots as the chimera is taking off where you see that shuttle in the hangar bay still. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and Ezra obviously like stole a stormtrooper disguise. That's one thing we forgot to mention when, yeah. um, you know, when he's on the ship and, there's like the stormtrooper right there that uh, I think Sabine shot the trooper um, as it was taken off. And then like, it gets a call over the comm link where it's like, you know, no TK, whatever, like we're sending reinforcements down to your position. And Ezra like puts on a fake voice. He's like, Oh, Roger, you know, thanks for the heads up or whatever. And um, you know, then kind of drags the body off and uh, you know, he obviously took that trooper's armor um which was again such a classic ezra move from rebels exactly. like i half expect i i half expected him to be like oh this is commander may lou run like confirming acknowledgement of uh, that would have been the best <laughs> um but uh yeah so we see you know the shuttle lands in home one he comes out in the stormtrooper armor and um initially hera is there with you know a whole bunch of guards and stuff and they're all uh you know wary of, of who this trooper is and then chopper rolls up to him and ezra takes the helmet off and says hi Hera, i'm home let me ask you this kyle real quick yeah did you did you think it was a little weird that he kept the stormtrooper helmet on as he was making his way down the platform and he just didn't have it off because it does look more suspicious obviously why 
uh, Phoenix Squadron and Hera would be suspicious of a stormtrooper walking out of that Imperial shuttle. I mean, obviously it's an Imperial shuttle, but if he came out without his helmet on and she, because she was able to recognize that it was as not too long after he removed the helmet, but I don't know. It seemed like he just caused unnecessary suspicion longer than he needed to by keeping that Stormtrooper helmet on. Yeah, I mean, obviously they did it just for kind yeah. of the dramatic tension of the shot and getting to have him take the helmet off and have the reveal to Hera and everything. So I'm like, yeah, it didn't bother me. Like, you know, it'd be one thing if they like opened fire on him or something and <laughs> yeah. it's like, well, you could have avoided that if you took your helmet <laughs> off, but um, yeah, it was great though because the reaction that I thought was really the best was Chopper being the one to know it was him and just going up towards him and not being the usual Chopper, you know, bumping into him or causing trouble. Like I was always expecting mm-hmm. that just for like old times' sake, but the fact that he was genuinely happy that it was Ezra just letting out these happy beeps that we don't yeah. hear Chopper let out too often was just really nice. And then obviously getting the reaction that. Hera had and when Ezra said, you know, I'm back. Um, I was almost waiting for them just to kind of run up to each other and hug, but <laughs> I, I assume that happened just off screen. Yeah. And it's funny because I've seen a lot of people be like, oh man, it, you know, I was so bummed that like they didn't let them hug. And I'm like, I don't know, for me, like, it, sure, it would have been nice, but also like just knowing that they're together again, I mean, for me is enough. And you know, yeah. there was a big giant hug two seconds after the camera cut. Not quite as strange as Chewie walking past Leia in The Force Awakens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, that was a, a really nice reunion. And then, you know, we see Hera and, or uh, Ahsoka and Sabine back together again on... Um, oh, well, no, no, I, I forgot about the other big thing before the ending part. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, first, the, the first time we see Ahsoka and Sabine back on Peridia after uh you know after attempting to stop Thrawn and everything we see them back with the Noti and then um you hear like a strange bird cry from off screen <laughs> and Ahsoka turns and looks and we see Morai finally um, <laughs> yeah yeah and and she takes off into the sky and Ahsoka's kind of looking at her like what are you doing here um and then you see uh shin riding on a howler and she rides up to like one of the the encampment of like those um you know the marauders or whatever that are roaming around in the wilds um and she's kind of up on a hill overlooking all of them and just raises her arm and ignites her lightsaber um almost kind of like a rallying cry and it's so it's like kind of with the implication that she's now going to rule over them yeah um and getting to see her kind of get the the kind of power that she craved of just you know being in a position of power and and ruling over people and you know that was the kind of thing that she kept saying to Balin like oh and you know this is going to be our turn and we're going to be on top and we're going to have power and he's like no not that kind of power and then realizes that that's the kind of power that she craves and so he lets her go chase that he says you know you're free to go chase your ambitions you go do your thing I'm going to go do my thing um and then we see Balin um, in, I mean, probably the coolest, I don't know, we got Anakin, so I'm not going to say the coolest <laughs> moment of the entire show, but um, man, in, I, I will say this, we've talked so much about like the fantasy vibe um, and, you know, the landscapes and the the castles and everything. This particular moment here with Balin was the most Lord of the Rings that Star Wars has ever felt. Yeah. With also maybe a touch of Game of Thrones to it too, especially just with 
you know, sort of just Balin's like stature and the armor that he has and everything, but also and even his new like robe or his cape that he was wearing. Yeah, yeah, that he now has like a cloak that he didn't have before. That while new, also looks very kind of like old and worn, and like maybe he killed an animal and and made mm-hmm. this cloak himself out of its skin or something like that. So looking very much like you know he's in his winter is coming era. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But he's he's standing on uh, this giant statue overlooking this big valley and this this range of mountains and everything looking far off into the distance. And you see this mountain that he's looking at where something is kind of shining on its peak, very mortisy kind of vibes, you know, especially if you remember back to the mortis arc, like there's that temple with a big glowing stone at the top that Anakin could see from a long ways away. Um and then you see like this the statue that he's standing on, and it immediately again gave me Lord of the Rings vibes because it looks like the Argonoth, um, which are like those two big statues that are like overlooking the mouth of the river um, that you see in Fellowship of the Ring, and it it very clearly seemed to be an homage to that, especially knowing how big of a Lord of the Rings fan Dave Filoni is. But then as the camera pulls back, you realize oh shoot that's the father from mortis <laughs> and then you're like oh wait what's that next to him oh that's the son which means that third statue over there has got to be the daughter except the head is missing and what does that mean um because wow. i mean it's funny because <laughs> like i i saw that and i immediately thought oh is that supposed to be symbolic of the fact that the daughter died but then you realize well actually all of them died <laughs> um but of course, there's been so much speculation about like Ahsoka and Morai and like, is Ahsoka the daughter now or is the daughter watching over her? Um, so clearly, like that was definitely an intentional choice on Dave Filoni's part. That means something. Um, but man, like we figured that whatever Balin is after, you know, this this sort of source of power and going back to the beginning and all this stuff that he talked about and finding, you know, balance and stopping this cycle of destruction between the dark and the light and all that, that maybe that would have some connection to Mortis. Never thought we'd be seeing, again, like the Argonath statues from Lord of the Rings, but as the Mortis gods overlooking this giant valley where there's a very Mortis-looking you know, shining mountain beacon thing off in the distance. And I'm like, man, on the one hand, I wish we had gotten more of that story in this episode and in in just kind of the back half of the series. But at the same time, knowing Dave, I'm sure that when we do get that story, I'm going to be glad that he saved it for you, whether it's a season two or just mm-hmm. its own story or whatever. Um, Cause I think that's going to be more, yeah, that's going to be something more than can just be wrapped up in one episode. Um, it just sucks that, you know, obviously we've now lost Ray Stevenson and we'll never get uh, to see yeah. him carry, you know, the, the rest of that story out to fruition as Balin. Um, but it certainly is something where like, I really hope that they recast the character and continue on with that story because you can't leave us with that tease and then just say, uh, no, we're not going to continue on with that. Um, and it seems like the perfect setup for a season two. Um, because now you have uh, you have Balin off on his quest. You have Ahsoka and Sabine there protecting the Noti. You have Shin with her band of raiders, and they could make for you know good villains. And so it's like, and you're in this whole other galaxy, and they still have a ship. So eventually, like we could go to other planets in this galaxy too. Good point. Um, yeah. 
didn't really think about that, but that is really true. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's a good setup for where like now you can go back to like Mando and whatever other stories we're going to have dealing with like Imperial remnants and stuff and building up to the movie where you could start planting more seeds of Thrawn and what's happening on Dathomir and Ezra and Hera and all this kind of stuff. And then have all that happen in the movie. And then meanwhile, season two of Ahsoka could be taking place in a whole nother galaxy, exploring some really weird mystical force stuff with Balin and Shin and Ahsoka and Sabine and you know, Mortis gods and whatever else we're going to see. So, yeah, I think that's a perfect setup for a season two. I really hope we get it. I mean, at this point, I, I can't imagine them not doing a season two. I know there's been talk about it potentially happening where this was originally announced as like a limited series. And then now it's been listed as like Ahsoka season one. And so does that mean that there's a season two? Um, I also wonder, like, does... Uh, you know, would that season two take place before the movie? And would there still be a way for maybe Ahsoka and Sabine to get back? Maybe even somehow through the world between worlds or something, like travel back to our galaxy and then be there to be part of the movie? Or are they planning to just have them stuck in this other galaxy for a while and tell, you know, just completely different stories over there that are separate from kind of the main stuff that's going on back in uh, in, in galaxy number one? Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, uh, there's a lot of different ways they could go about it. And I'm curious to kind of find out the timing of things and, and what they're planning to show us first and what everything is kind of building towards. But, um, yeah, there's lots of different directions they could go. And I'm just really excited for all of it. Boy, this was one of those just mind blowing moments of the series where, we see Balin, like you said, just a great shot of him just looking out into the horizon and seeing that light. But then once we just saw the statue, and I just knew right away when I saw that face, like, oh, crap, that's the father. I mean, I made the Argonaut connection later on, but that wasn't the first thing I thought of because I immediately saw the father's face and they're like, like, oh, wow, we're getting a big time Mortis connection here with the statue. And then, like you said, you see the son and then you see the statue of the daughter, but without her head and just visually seeing the mortis gods kind of built in as these giant statues into these mountains looking like so reverential that godlike status that they have it was just a sight to behold in live action and i was just like my mouth hit the floor it's like i was just blown away just blown away with how majestic that image was of seeing balin on the hand of the father that's pointing out there in the direction that he's looking at and just behind him was the face of the father the son and then we know it's the daughter but we couldn't see her face it was just a visually striking shot that was just amazing and just opens the door for more exciting story possibilities of what we're going to get with mortis and i mean we talked about it a ton over the course of this podcast of how much we love the mortis arc and how it's my favorite arc of the clone wars and what george lucas introduced in that story with the Mortis gods and their connection to the force and how I just absolutely love Dave is keeping that story alive. He made a connection to it with rebels. And now it's like, we're just going to dive deeper into it now in live action with what, what I don't think he's going to, well, maybe he will, because I know I said before how Dave doesn't like to reveal everything and uh, give everyone a peek behind the curtain of what everything means, especially when it involves the force. So 
while we'll get more insight to them, I don't know if we'll get the full history, but I'll take anything he wants to give us when it comes to Mortis, because I just find that absolutely fascinating. And now knowing it connects to this other galaxy and to this planet specifically of Peridia and the fantasy stories and that uh, Bainan was told as a child in the Jedi Temple and knowing that his belief in the truth that there is truth to those stories that he heard when this passed down as folklore and legends and knowing that Anakin, Ahsoka, and Obi-Wan got to experience it firsthand and what could possibly be in stores for our characters moving forward and just diving into more of that Mortis mystery just has me excited beyond belief. And you mentioned too earlier seeing Morai there and I was a little disappointed that we didn't get like a clear focused shot of Morai, but obviously we knew who it was and just the connection that she has with Ahsoka is, is still going to be there, obviously, because we knew she had to appear out at some point in the series. She she could not have. It would have been, I for, at least for me anyway, just a major disappointment because Morai's been there for every step of the way as far as these big Ahsoka moments ever since Mortis. And to not have it be in another big one, especially here for what she went through, uh, would have been disappointing. But of course, we knew Dave wasn't going to leave us hanging in that regard. Morai was there. Ahsoka sees her. And there just has to be, um, I just think there, I mean, we, I don't know what it is, but Morai and her connection to the daughter and Ahsoka, that has to play a factor into why the head of the daughter of that uh, on the statue was missing. There just has to be a connection and a reason because of that. Because out of the three of them, she is the only one where her spirit or life force still has a present in uh, the living force, um, where she's still... Uh, to kind of be there for Ahsoka and that connection they have with her life force flowing through Ahsoka too. I mean, all these connections that Ahsoka has with Mortis and now knowing that she's on this planet um, of Peridia and this connection to Mortis, uh, I'm just, my mind's going crazy <laughs> with how, what it could all mean. And I might be jumping a little bit ahead here, but I'm uh, going back to what I said at the beginning, as far as really wanting the finale to focus more on what, Balin was after the power the beginning that he was looking for because um, this is the last episode of the season and they made a point of that to be a big focus point of the story in the season. So I was hoping that's where we'd focus on while we know Thrawn's probably going to make it off. Let's not spend too much time on there. But this is why it was I didn't get that. But this is why I think it's for the better because the story Dave has planned, um, what he wants to tell with Peridia and its connection to Mortis is much bigger than what can be told in just a single episode. Even if the entire episode focused on that, it wouldn't be enough. <laughs> and uh, would, The last thing I want is this type of story to feel rushed and just shoehorned in at the final episode just to get it in there. Um, and I just think this episode did a great job of having resolution for all of the main big point, plot points and the characters. But at the same time, definitely setting the stage up for more stories to come. Big stories, too, with uh, Balin and Shin, and just in particular Balin and what he's after and how it connects to Mortis. Just amazing. And it, it can, cannot be more excited for what the potential of these stories we could get. And I'm really hoping it is a season two. I think that could definitely work where, obviously, we got the movie down the horizon. That's supposed to be the culmination of everything in this in these series and the story that started in Mandalorian season one. So I think Ahsoka season two can definitely fit in in there before we get to the movie and just really have it focus just on Ahsoka, Sabine, Hu Yang, Shin, and Balin in this other galaxy. 
Um, obviously, we want them to stay on Peridia because of how it's connected to Mortis. But as you mentioned, if there's going to be an episode or two where they go to a different planet, uh, that should be cool to see too. But if just like the entire focus is on them in this galaxy, uh, that would be fine by me. If there's no like B plot with uh, the New Republic and Ezra and then preparing for their battle with Thrawn. If they want to save that for the movie and have that be the big focal point there. Um, and then have it to where maybe we see Ahsoka and Sabine, how they get out of that galaxy at the end of season two, and then they could still play a role in uh, Dave's upcoming movie. But man, just the potential of so much more exciting stories down the horizon is just so, so exciting. I mean, the hardest part is just waiting for it. But I mean, as you mentioned too, this the only thing that just really, really sucks about it is Ray Stevenson no longer being here to be able to continue on his amazing performance as Balin because um, I just think uh, Dave was just tapping in. Just It was just the tip of the iceberg of the story Dave was tapping into and wanted to tell with Balin and just the brilliant job that Ray Stevenson brought to the character. It's just such a shame that uh, we're not going to see that continue on and what he could have brought to probably some even big, more important uh, impactful moments for the character as he gets closer to finding uh, his goal and making the connection to Mortis and just what his reaction would be to all that. So this, this is a really bummer and just such a bittersweet moment when we saw that shot of Balin looking out there. So yeah, that's it's very disappointing. But um, just as far as the, the excitement levels for the story that Dave is setting up into potential moving forward, uh, for more stories involving Mortis, it just I'm excited beyond belief. <laughs> I just, I mean, I was hoping that we'd get small connections here or there between the world between worlds, and then the, maybe a little Easter egg or nod to Mortis. But we got a lot more than that. <laughs> we got a whole episode dedicated to the world between worlds, and something, and got to see a new aspect of what uh, could be done in the world between worlds. And then we just got this huge setup. And just, quite frankly, just a big reveal about Mortis, how it looks like the origins or where the Mortis gods, the father, son, and the daughter, they come from this galaxy, it looks like. Um, again, not 100% confirmed, but the fact that these uh, majestic statues were created for them, uh, it makes you have to believe that that is the case, that they originated from this galaxy. And just how, I mean, this planet's connection to Mortis, well, is it Mortis? <laughs> and they just, Ahsoka, <laughs> Anakin, and Obi-Wan got to experience it just in a different time of how the planet was. Oh, I don't know, all these different ideas. I don't know, we haven't seen any floating mountains yet. <laughs> yet. But yeah, it's just awesome to have this fun now to speculate on what uh, can be in store for us now that um, looks like we're, Mortis is going to be back in play in a big, big way, and I cannot be more happy about that just so so awesome <laughs> yeah and i just i like i haven't i have no idea where we're going with this yeah and is it like like is it something just related to mortis or is it something even bigger than that like you know the like the are we gonna find out there's more sort of force deities or whatever like the mortis gods or there's you know something even bigger than them or find out like sort of how mortis came to be in the first place um 
just because i mean i feel like i mean obviously there's so much more you could do with that but also like just because that story was already told in clone wars and then the mortis gods all died and like but we're still seeing this stuff with you know the imagery and rebels and then the statues here and it's like obviously you're still kind of feeling that influence and seeing kind of things pointing back to that but it's like okay but what's the the end goal like what what's the big thing that we're gonna see because i don't think it's gonna be just them again although i mean it would be really cool to see the mortis gods in live yeah. action but um i mean balen talks about going back to the beginning and what if that be the beginning of the conflict like between light and dark if that is the son and the daughter and he's trying to go back to i mean if they're if we're gonna I mean, it's a fine line with Star Wars and time travel that the world of Between Worlds, I think, did beautifully. If they want to tell that line even further, where it's a kind of a combination where he has he's gaining access to the world between worlds and able to get to that beginning of the Mortis Gods. I don't know. It just seems like that could be a way where the connection is made between what he's after and just the conflict beginning between the sun and daughter and the light and dark is with Dude, them. Wh- what if? <laughs> This is crazy, but like, what if James Mangold's Dawn of the Jedi film is about Balin going back to the Dawn of the Jedi? Oh man, (laughs) (laughs) jeez, like, because you're right. I think, I mean, I think we had maybe thrown this out as a possibility earlier or, or speculated that this could happen, but I think now with the Mortis connection and having seen a glimpse of the world between worlds in this show as well, um. Even though, like, I still think with, um, and actually you weren't here for this episode, but Paul and I talked about this, how, like, you could take it that Ahsoka was physically in the world between worlds, or you could just kind of take it that she was having this sort of vision from the Force, and that just visually it sort of took place in the world between worlds, because that's, you know, something that we're familiar with for us hardcore fans, and it kind of just made a cool backdrop for that sequence, but like story wise, you don't really need to know like what the world between worlds is or how she got there or if she was actually in a physical place or whatever. It really just served as kind of more of a cool visual backdrop for this stuff that she was having, uh, you know, going through with Anakin. Um, but regardless, like now that we've seen that established in live action in some form and gotten these connections to the Mortis gods and stuff like I really do think there's a possibility that, again, Balin hearing these old legends and these stories about some great power waiting out here on Peridia and wanting to stop this cycle of destruction between light and dark and needing to go back to the beginning, that maybe he really is looking for some way to harness the power of the world between worlds to go back to the origin of the Jedi or the Sith or the, the discovery of the force or something and either mm-hmm. just stop it all together or do something differently. Um, which would be absolutely crazy to see. And like you said, I, and I've always been adamant that like, I don't want time travel in Star Wars. And I I was okay with the way they did it in the world between worlds. But ever since then, I'm like, you have to be very careful about going to that well too many times. But this could be a way that you could do that in a really cool, new and interesting way that I would be totally on board with if you did it right. And I trust Dave to do it right. So, um, yeah, man, this, I, I cannot wait to see... Um, what their plans are with this because obviously it's going to be something big 
And oh, like yeah. I said, it like you could spin that off into its own movie. That could just be a season two, but I I maybe have some doubts about doing a whole season two and having the entire thing set on one planet and having just Ahsoka, Sabine, uh, Balin, and Shin basically be you know to have a, an eight episode star wars series but have it all take place on one planet with four characters like i think you're going to be spreading it a little thin there and like i said they they certainly ha- could have the possibility to go off planet um with their ship there could be more characters on the planet that we'll meet later um also with again whatever this like power that balin is seeking and again also the implication that there's a power there that the night sisters were fleeing from um would kind of imply that it's not just like a power source or it's not just like a temple or you know an access point to the world between worlds or mortis or something like that but that maybe there is some entity that lives there um that they fear and want to get away from maybe it is the bendu like you know dude just disappeared up into the clouds (laughs) after thrawn shot him like i i definitely don't think bendu is dead um and that would be just a a wild crazy thing to bring into live action but i wouldn't put it past dave if that you know if he really wants to lean into just this mystical fantasy side of the force and everything so i think you know there could be a new character introduced there um, whether it be the Bendu or some other kind of new force deity or, or some different version of the Mortis gods or whatever. So, um, yeah, but, but whether it's, I don't think it's going to be in the, the main movie that, that Dave is directing that they've, they're sort of building this all towards, because again, I think that's going to be our heir to the empire adaptation. Um, Agreed. and now will we see ahsoka and sabine get back and be part of that storyline maybe i definitely don't think that one movie you're going to have sort of parallel storylines where it's the new republic fighting thrawn but then you also are dealing with ahsoka and balin and mortis gods in a totally different galaxy because i have a hard time i would like (laughs) like casual audiences would be so lost and just narratively (laughs) it would be really hard to connect those two storylines in a way that made sense um so I think this is going to be its own thing. Um, but again, whether whether it's just going to be a season two, whether it's going to be tying into the Dawn of the Jedi film, or whether it's going to be something completely different, um, I really have no idea. I mean, I think just season two is the safest bet at this point. But um, I mean, considering how far we've come just in this season and all the crazy stuff that we saw go down, um, <laughs> trying to imagine now, you know, what they could do over an eight, an eight episode series um, or, you know, an eight episode second season with the stuff that they've set up for this is just, it, it could go anywhere. And all I hope is that we get to see it and that it's good and that we don't have to wait too long. Like if we have to wait three or four years for Dave's movie, but we get a second season of this, like a year or two from now, like sign me up. I would be totally on board with that. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm I, don't hoping... think, I don't think it would be a year from now, especially with the way that the strikes have pushed yeah. back and everything. But like if let's say we get season two, two years from now. And then meanwhile, in Mando and some of these other shows, we maybe start getting some more seeds planted of like Thrawn and the Imperial remnants and stuff and, and start building up more towards the movie. And then the movie maybe comes out like four years from now. Like, I'd be OK with that as much as that seems like a long time to wait. Um 
but just just give me something in the meantime. Like I I gotta know what <laughs> Balin is up to sooner than later. I'm hoping that um, now that the writers are back to work and hopefully like production can start beginning on future projects that uh, Lucasfilm has seen just what a great success this first season of Ahsoka was uh, just by the critical and I think for the most part fan uh, reaction has been more so on the positive side. Of course, you're still going to have your naysayers out there and people who don't like it. But overall, I think the majority of the consensus was consensus was a positive reaction to this series and that it kind of encourages them to get a season two in production uh, more of a priority than maybe some other series or ideas. But at the same time, I just want to make sure they do what Dave wants to do first. If he feels the movie first is what he wants to do, then yeah, do that. And Or if he has ideas for a second season and things change over the course of time as these different projects were being uh, developed and he wants to do a season two first and the movie, then yeah, let's do that. Just at this point, I mean, just do whatever Dave wants and what he feels is best for the story because um, he just proves time and time and again that it's just... He's, he's the best when it comes to Star Wars tell, storytelling after George, and he just proves it time and time and again. He did it with the series and what he's setting up at the end of the series, um, not just with the stuff with Mortis, but then with Thrawn and setting up the conflict between him and the New Republic in our main galaxy. It's just, yeah, he has it all mapped out and how it wants to go, and I'm confident it's all going to be great and uh, the right direction to go in. It's just a matter of which project will be first. So I'm just hoping the success of this first season uh, really makes them see that a, a season two um, would be great for the fans <laughs> to experience, especially with all the teases we got at the end of this episode here. Yeah. And again, with the writer strike being over and now with the season being over, I just hope that we get some news sooner or later. I hope we get some interviews with Dave Poloni and like yeah. some of the other people involved just talking about the process of making the show because, you know, we really haven't, uh, you know, we've been, I feel like we've been missing that um as the show has been going and you know dave always has so much great commentary and insight on these stories um so i can't wait to hear from him can't wait till we get a confirmation of a season two or you know whatever is coming next i think i did hear i saw somewhere on twitter today that there was like sort of an unconfirmed report from like one of the like the hollywood trade sites or something saying that um disney was already like you know had sort of greenlit a season two or was in production of a season two or whatever. Um, but like, obviously no official confirmation yet. Um, but yeah, I will be very happy as soon as we get that announcement. Um, also speaking of announced and upcoming things, apparently the uh, second volume of the soundtrack comes out tomorrow. Um, which it's I'm very happy right about. now. <laughs> oh, actually, yeah, as we're recording this, it probably did just come out. Um, but like for the, the volume one, which was for episodes one through four, we had to wait till the week after episode four to get it. So the fact that we're now getting volume two, the week of the finale makes me happy. Yes. Um, I can't wait to dive in and listen to that. Kevin Kiner and the whole Kiner family and the whole music department on this show has absolutely knocked it out of the park. I mean, even here in this episode, again, the, the soundtrack was phenomenal. Um, and I mean, Kevin Kiner really, I think has been kind of the, I don't know if I'd say the secret sauce that, you know, made this show great. But I mean, Paul and I, I think, talked about this a while back, but like much in the same way that um, 
George Lucas and Steven Spielberg have kind of credited John Williams with being like sort of the, the secret ingredient that makes Star Wars and Indiana Jones special. And it just wouldn't be the same without that music. I feel the same way about the stuff that Kevin Kiner has done for Ahsoka and um, the, you know, integrating like the familiar themes from Rebels and Clone Wars and also the, you know, little bit of the familiar John Williams themes we've gotten when appropriate and just a whole bunch of new stuff. And, you know, it's all I, I feel like it's one of those shows where the music really just elevates the storytelling and the world building and the just the the pacing and the action and the tone and everything. Um, the music has just been phenomenal. So that was just one other excellent aspect of all of this. Without question. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even the end credit song uh, was different than what we've gotten on all the previous episodes, but yet it was still a great one that just kind of felt right for the finale of this first season. So yeah, yeah. Kiner, the Kiner family just hats off to probably their best work yet on a Star Wars series. They just really outdid themselves on this one. Yeah. And then of course, before we wrap up, we have to talk about just the, the beautiful, perfect, uh, final scene where um, we're back on Peridia. It's nighttime, and Ahsoka and Sabine are, are back. You know, in the little Noti village, and um, Ahsoka is uh, you know kind of off by herself, like looking up into the stars. Um, and Sabine comes up to talk to her, and I I forget exactly how the conversation goes, but Ahsoka is talking about how like you know everybody is where they need to be. You know, Ezra's back home, and uh, you know, we're, we're here where we need to be. And they kind of have a purpose now in, in helping the Noti and protecting them, just kind of like how Ezra had been before he left. Um, and I think Sabine is still talking about like, you know, oh, like you're not mad at me for, you know, like Thrawn getting away or whatever. And Ahsoka just says, you know, it's time to let it go. Um, and as they, they turn to walk back, like Sabine kind of stops and senses something and, uh, Ahsoka's like, what is it? And Sabine's like, oh, just a feeling. And she looks out and says something about sh shadows in the starlight. Um, but she doesn't see anything out there. And she she turns and walks back. And Ahsoka stays and looks up into the night. And you see her, uh, you know, almost kind of looks like she's looking at something and kind of has this, you know, sort of knowing smile on her face. And then turns and walks back towards the village with Sabine. And as the camera pulls out, you see the force ghost of Anakin standing there watching her go. And um, man, how fitting and beautiful that, you know, then it, we, we get a close up on his face and uh, the final shot in, I was going to say this whole series about Ahsoka, but at least at the end of this first season. Um, and I would imagine that, if we get a season two, it'll probably focus more just on Ahsoka and her relationship with Sabine and maybe not have as many callbacks to Anakin, but mm, I don't know um, about that. <laughs> it, and, and I could be wrong. I, you know, but I feel like, especially this first season, there was very much this theme of, um, again, him teaching her, her final lesson and, and seeing the impact that his teaching had on her and her passing that on to her own Padawan and now kind of being able to, take that torch and carry it forward. Um, but just after all the stuff that we've seen, the two of those characters go through together in Clone Wars in Rebels, now in this series, and to have the final shot be Anakin's force ghost watching Ahsoka walk off with her own Padawan, like just 
freaking beautiful, man. Yeah, like, perfect. and I kind of, I, I kind of saw it coming too. Like, I think I, I talked about how, like, when we saw Anakin in the world between worlds and it's like, okay, well, this is at least my interpretation is like, it is sort of Anakin coming to her, but it's also like, sort of, this is like a vision from the force. Um, it certainly is not like Anakin physically in the world between worlds, but, um, you know, sort of revisiting her past and and going through all those Clone Wars flashbacks and stuff with him. It would be really nice if we kind of bookended the show with her back in the physical world and seeing Anakin's force ghost and getting to have, you know, kind of one last interaction with him. Um, and yet I still was not like emotionally prepared for just the way that it ended on just that, you know, there's no, no dialogue between them um or any real interaction aside from again just that that smile that ahsoka gives and you don't see her looking directly at him but in my mind like i have no doubt like she saw him there like yeah and i think sabine kind of sensed his presence but didn't know what it was and didn't see anything um but then her sensing that kind of clued ahsoka into like oh what is that that she's sensing and she looks out and she sees anakin and and kind of smiles knowing that he's there watching over her and then turns and walks back and uh again just just seeing him watching her go and i also couldn't help but notice like in in that final shot it was again you know hayden christensen in the jedi robes and everything um but they didn't de-age him for that shot and so um you know it's now like an older looking anakin um seeing his padawan all grown up and you know with a padawan of her own and uh you know kind of watching over her but also just being proud of how how far mm -hmm. she's come and uh you know kind of just seeing the the person that she's grown into um just made me so happy to to end on that note and then like you said the the way that the music at the beginning of the credits was different um was just uh it was just a, a beautiful and emotional way to end the whole thing Oh boy, yeah, man, was this a great, perfect, just a perfect way to wrap up this first season of Ahsoka. Uh, but before I get to Anakin, uh, but what I really liked about this ending, just for both Ahsoka and Sabine, was her line of dialogue where she just goes, everyone is where they should be. I mean, including them. And for me, anyway, I took it where she's, there's like a bigger purpose for them being here. And I think she, realized that when she saw Morai there and how she's presence on this planet. Not maybe necessarily knowing why just yet, but there's a bigger picture here than why they're still on this planet. And it's going to tie into Mortis and what Balin's after. So that's why I really liked it, how it left them. Because um, to be honest, I even said this on the last episode where it's like, It'd almost feel kind of redundant if, you know, Thrawn gets out, but some of our heroes are still on the planet. And then are we going to have to do the same thing over again where some other characters are going to try to find, have to rescue Sabine and Ezra? It'll be a little easier this time since they know where they are, but still a struggle mm -hmm. to get to that other galaxy. But it's almost felt like a little redundant if they had to do the same thing. But like, I have no issues with that anymore because knowing that there is that Mortis connection. And we saw Ahsoka see Morai, and obviously Ahsoka's big connection to Mortis. That's the reason why they're still there. And just from a story and narrative standpoint, I am totally okay with that as far as them being on that planet. And 
We'll, we'll see how they get out, but they, they might not even need anyone to come find them. They might be able to get back to the galaxy another way with all these possibilities open with uh, the Mortis uh, connection there. So I love that. And for the reasoning of them being there and for me anyway, that's how I took it where she said um, we're, we're supposed to be knowing there's something bigger um, as far as the reasoning why they're still there. But yeah, then when you get to the moment with Anakin, I mean, they had the little teases with Sabine saying her bit as far as having a feeling and the shadows in the starlight. And then when Ahsoka looks out, I mean, it took a while. I mean, the camera kept pulling back and back. I was like, okay, I know we're going to see it. Like, we're going to see the back of his head. We're going to see a blue glow. Like, when is it coming? And when it finally did, it was just a special moment. And just, like I said, the perfect way to end this first season. Seeing Anakin smile, looking upon his Padawan, who is now, who overcame one of her great trials, who took his final lesson to heart, um, and now is ready to train her own Padawan again. And just that proud feeling he must have there was just it was special and just a great way to end this series when a big theme of this show was Master and Apprentice. And mm-hmm. that Master-Apprentice relationship, I mean, Obi-Wan and Anakin, and then it's Anakin and Ahsoka that I think just exemplifies that Master and Apprentice relationship uh, better than anything in Star Wars is those those four characters. And to see, I mean, again, an all-in-live-action too with Anakin and Ahsoka, just being that seamless transition uh, from animation to live-action was just beautifully done in the series. And to get one more moment between Anakin and Ahsoka here was just great. So we did get our first ghost Anakin after all, but it just said not the way we were expecting. And, and I just can't help but just get this really great feeling seeing Anakin in the series, but in particular this shot, and I kind of hinted at this uh, in the Shadow Warrior episode when I was talking about it a little bit, but just seeing Anakin there and all of the memories that he has, not just of Anakin, but as Darth Vader. And that just, it just trips me out thinking that because we're just so used to seeing Hayden Christensen as Anakin and just Anakin during the Clone Wars. And that's the extent of when we're seeing actually Anakin, the extent of his memories of then. But in this time period where he has all that experience there, plus his memories and experience as Darth Vader, it's just, yeah, I, it's like I said, it still trips me out that we're getting stories with Anakin in a post Darth Vader and he has all that experience and memories of his time as Vader and Anakin. It's just, it's just crazy to think about honestly, that that's all <laughs> in his head right there as he's looking upon Ahsoka and just probably thinking about everything he's been through as well. It's just really cool to think about and just speaks to the levels. What a great character of Anakin and Darth Vader, just the story that George Lucas created for that character and just adding more layers to it, bringing in, Ahsoka and having him have a Padawan. It just enriched his character and it just brought us a, a new great character with Ahsoka 15 years ago. And now we're just seeing her story still continue to unfold and just uh, elevating her character just to one of the best ever in Star Wars. And it was just awesome to see both of them here in this series and in this moment in particular. Um, kind of just Anakin being proud and just and then Ahsoka being happy that her aunt, her master is smiling down upon here it was just it was amazing and if i could just do one last bit of speculation as far as i said how i don't know about anakin's role being limited if there is a season two i think it actually might be bigger 
because mm. of his connection with Mortis as well, being the chosen one, and just what his presence here on Protea can mean too moving forward. And that's why I think he can have a big role to play in a season two if we get that and it does focus on uh, Mortis. So I think there's this potentially for even more big stuff uh, for Anakin as a character in the future as well, which is, again, kind of hard to believe thinking about just even as a force goes, there could be more to his character. But just knowing how important he was to Mortis, I mean, he was the reason why him and Ahsoka and Obi-Wan were brought to Mortis in the first place, being the chosen one. So even if we get more aspects into what it means to be the chosen one too in these future stories i mean yeah that's going to be great too so i mean as great of an ending this was as far as anakin looking proudly at his padawan um there's this potential for more great stories with anakin and ahsoka in a potential season two if uh we get that hopefully not too far down the line so yeah it was just great and just perfect use of uh bringing hayden back it was amazing to have him back for this series he just nailed every single moment he was in even without any dialogue here just that look he gives us mm-hmm. over, just fantastic just the perfect way to end this this season, first season i was almost going to say series two but let's let's hope not let's hope this is just the beginning of at least another season yeah for sure <clears throat> i mean it, it'll be interesting because like on the one hand i feel like anakin's story has been told right like with the whole you know the prequels and the original trilogy and the rise and fall of, of darth vader and everything um but like anakin is my favorite star wars character so i'm never going to complain about getting more anakin stories um but i do like part of me feels like his role in this season was really to kind of help ahsoka reconcile with her past and remember her training and to kind of help her get to a next level of where she needed to be at And now, again, you know, you're ending with him just kind of like watching her proudly as she's now going forward with her own Padawan and everything. And so I kind of feel like, not that you shouldn't include Anakin in the second season, but like you don't necessarily need to. Like, I feel like his role in this season was enough um, and that you could just have season two kind of focus even more strongly just on Ahsoka and her character kind of carrying the thing forward. Um, I'm sure it won't be, certainly won't be the last time that we see his influence on her or kind of hear him referenced in relation to her or anything like that. And depending on how deep they, they want to dive into this Mortis stuff in the second season, they definitely could bring some of that stuff up about him being the chosen one. I don't think he's going to like come back through the force or, or anything like that. Um, or even I've heard people speculate about like, oh, well, you know, now like that Anakin is the, the father and Ahsoka is the daughter and, you know, maybe Balin's going to be the son or something. And I don't think it's going to be anything that on the nose as like uh, characters being the exact, you know, like stepping in to fill those exact shoes or being, you know, sort of literal, um, uh you know, replacements for those characters. Um, I don't know. This is why I'm so fascinated to see where they go with this, because I feel like even in Clone Wars, like there was always sort of this metaphorical aspect to Mortis as well. And like Mm. the conflict between the son and the daughter kind of mirroring the conflict between dark and light in our actual galaxy and the, the conflict of the Clone Wars and everything. And so it was never really about like, oh, this person stabbing this person and then this person taking over for this person. Like it's more sort of just like a 
a, a representation in human form, you know, almost this just sort of dramatization of this conflict playing out across the galaxy in a way. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know, like how, I don't know how sort of explicitly explained some of this stuff is going to be and how, how realistic it's going to be, or are we going to get more sort of like metaphorical type stuff? Um, but it does seem to be, you know, some real actual power that Balin is chasing. And so like, it's just, I don't know, dude, like there's, there's so many different directions they could go with it. I almost, it's almost like too much to speculate on. I'm just going to like, I yeah. just hope that it doesn't take too long to get here. And I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the ride and be like, all right, Dave, do your thing. Cause it's going to be crazy. But all that to say, like, I certainly would not be disappointed if Anakin still factors into it somehow, but I don't think it's necessary at this point. I think at least for this first season, I think in his role of sort of teaching Ahsoka one final lesson and kind of helping propel her forward. Um, I think that role has been fulfilled and I would be perfectly satisfied if we didn't see Anakin again in season two. But at the same time, I would not complain if we did. And there are possible ways that you could work in him being the chosen one and all this connection to all this weird mythological force stuff where maybe you have Hayden Christensen in an even bigger role in season two. And it ends up being some big surprise thing that, you know, none of us saw coming and Dave does it in a really cool way. Um, where, you know, I mean, kind of just like, and not that I'm saying they should bring Anakin back from the dead by any stretch. I'm just making the comparison here that with Darth Maul and Clone Wars, when they announced that Darth Maul was coming back, we were all kind of like, huh? And then it ended up being really cool because the stories they told with that character were incredible. So, um, I mean, if Dave wants to come up with some more, you know, some cool ways to work Anakin into the story, like I'm all for it, but I'm also completely satisfied with what we got of him in this season. Um, and if we don't get more, I'll just be, well, you know, forever grateful that we got this. I mean, these last three yeah. episodes have been great with all the cool stuff on Peridia and everything, but I mean, that fifth episode is an all timer. Um, I think th that was easily my favorite episode of the series and probably my favorite single piece of Disney star Wars content so far. Um, and not just because of the Anakin stuff, also because of the Jason Solo stuff and the whole lightsabers clashing in the waves scene. And then, you know, all the stuff at the end with Ahsoka and the Pergil and, and all that stuff was like that, that fifth episode was really something special. And I think is still, you know, the standout of this series, but um, yeah, I mean, the, the finale was great. The whole series has been great. Dave Filoni always delivers the goods. We know this. And uh, this whole first season of Ahsoka has just been some, really special uh and and great and memorable star wars content across the board without question and i've said before how this was the star wars event of the year and i think it more than lived up to that expectation i had for it it yeah it i mean as much as i enjoyed and loved certain episodes of mandalorian season three this was just like i said the star wars event of the year where it delivered on the potential that i think the series could give us and yeah, to have it to end the way it did, I just couldn't be more satisfied with it. Yeah, definitely. Although I will say, in, like, I, I definitely am going to put this above Mando season three, but in terms of best Star Wars of the year, 
I think Jedi Survivor could still maybe mm. give it a run for its money because that game is also a fantastic Star Wars story. Um, with the fact that you get to actually play the the awesome lightsaber combat, you know, as an added bonus. But um, man, what an awesome year it's been for Star Wars so far that that's even like a debate that we have to I have. <laughs> like, you know, you got Ahsoka, you got Mando, you got Bad Batch, you got Vision Season 2, yeah, you got I mean, Jedi Survivor. Like, there's been some incredible stuff this year. Bad Batch had some all-time episodes in that as well in Season 2. Yeah. So, yeah. It was, See, it's been a, a good year for you. You got clones, you got Death Troopers, you got everything. Crosshairs, helmet. Yeah, it's just, yeah. <laughs> I was spoiled this year. No complaints <laughs> for me. I guess the only thing that could be better is seeing Crosshair in live action with his Imperial armor. That's Ooh, my... that would be cool. <laughs> the ultimate and then, I mean, helmet. on top of all that, we got to go to the premiere for Ahsoka. We got to go to Galaxy's Edge earlier this year. So, yeah. It's just been it's been a good Star Wars year all, all the way around. Exactly. Yeah, and that's, that's what it's all about. Just having fun and enjoying the ride as we get to experience all this new Star Wars content together. Absolutely. Friends and fans. Yeah, it doesn't get better than that. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, I think, uh, you know, we've we've talked the finale to death uh, about as much as we can for now. Um, although I'm sure, you know, if Paul were here, we easily would still be going. Um, he'd probably be oh, yeah. off on some tangent about how this is going to connect to the Ray movie or something. I'm not even worried about that yet. It's at this point. Uh, keep us keep Ahsoka in her own timeline for now <laughs> before we jump ahead to see where she's at 30 years in the future. I think it's more um, likely he'd still be finding connections for Ahsoka to take Grogu as her next battle. That too. That too. <laughs> like, I I guarantee you he would have brought up both of those things and yeah. probably will still when we all get back together to talk about, you know, the we'll do a uh, full series recap episode. But yeah, um, we miss hearing those, Paul. Yeah. So <laughs> can't we yeah. get those discussions and debates on the next one? <laughs> um. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll this definitely will not be the last time we talk about this season. Um, and we'll get to talk about it some more with Paul for sure. But before we wrap up, um, I know we also got plenty of online comments and even uh, some emails and DMs and stuff from some of our listeners about uh, this episode and the season and everything. So uh, what they have to say? Yeah. So first up is Alex saying, regards to the finale, of course, incredible. Very excited to hear y'all's thoughts on it. Sets up so much future for the franchise. So many powerful moments. It ended with just the right amount of sadness and hope, like so much Star Wars before. He goes on to say, love Sabine and Morgan's level up. Shadows in the starlight. It's really hard to not just list every scene. Curious if those coffins are all Night Sisters with the way Thrawn said he woke up to three. That would be an insane future, future film with a huge Dathomir fight. And yeah, well said, Alex, in your first tweet there, just about how it, the right amount of sadness and hope like so much Star Wars has before. So yeah, I love that. And then Derek says, while I was frustrated by the lack of resolution in the final episode, this is still probably my all-time favorite Star Wars TV series. Bring on season two. And then our buddy Caleb says, absolutely, fa or as absolute favorite thing Disney has done. The future is bright indeed. And then Star Wars Zoopod, um, who actually just launched their first episode, wanted to give a shout out um, for that show. Um, really cool concept of just having everyone send in what they've, uh, how they interacted with the franchise and what they've experienced with Star Wars over the course of a month. So just a really cool idea for a new Star Wars topic. Uh, I chimed in a little bit on that first episode, so be sure to go check it out, Star Wars Zoopod. And he goes, 
Oh my God. <laughs> brilliant finale. Everything I wanted? No. But set up for the future and some brilliant shots. Morai, Mortis Gods, minus the sister's head, Dathomir, Thrawn's return, Anakin, and he says, no way, this is <laughs> that's our last of him. Ahsoka versus Morgan, too, was great. Overall, brilliantly done. And then Alan chimes in saying, it was amazing. Once again, so many things we never thought we'd see in live action. Definitely left me wanting more. Like the end of The Empire Strikes Back. Bring on the movie. And then Alan also sends us some more spoiler field thoughts in the, the DMs here. So um, first off, he goes, someone said that Thrawn woke up the Great Mothers. My theory is that all the nice sisters on Peridia were in some kind of hibernation. And the containers Thrawn delivers to Dathomir are sisters in suspended animation, not bodies to be reanimated. Yeah, I've come to started to think mm -hmm. that too, Alan. <laughs> I think that's going to be the more likely scenario. And I think that's the better scenario too. He goes, they apparently went to sleep in fear of the power that Lord Balin is chasing. And that's another interesting point, too, as far as Mortis with the power Balin seeking that the sisters, the nice sisters were scared of that, too. And that's another layer to add to the fascinating concept of Mortis being a part of this galaxy now. And just how much do they know of the Mortis gods? And they obviously yeah. had to know about them being on the same planet where those statues were. So, And that's a good point about, like, did they... Are, were they in hibernation or, or stasis or whatever, like intentionally to like isolate themselves or hide from whatever that power yeah. is? Or did that whatever that again, we don't know if it's just a power source or if it's an entity or a person or something, but did it like subdue them and put them to sleep or, <laughs> you know, did it did it defeat them or, you know, uh, so many questions. I know <laughs> we, we got we got so many answers and yet it just opened up so many more questions that we now got to know. Yeah. I kind of like that idea, though, of, like, the power was the one that put <laughs> the Night Sisters all to hibernation. Yeah, fascinating stuff. But then he, Alan continues saying, um, he brings out the point that only the ground floor of the Night Troopers reanimated, not all the ones after our heroes, which is true. Then he goes, it seems Hu Yang um, or someone else collected all the saber parts from the wreck of the Crucible before Hondo's pirates dragged it back to the remains of their base. Then Hu Yang brought those goodies on board Ahsoka's T6. Yeah, good thing too, because uh, she was going to need another lightsaber if she wants to continue to use two blades. Well, see, that's another thing that I was confused about because I assumed that, well, actually, I had assumed that the T6 shuttle was Ahsoka's ship. And that like after, you know, at some point after Order 66 or after Rebels or whatever, like she had found the ship. And then at some point she had found Hu Yang and brought him aboard the ship with her. Um, but then in this episode, she said something to Hu Yang about like, you've kept this ship alive or you've, you've kept the ship in the air longer than I've been alive or something. That's like true. That. I forgot Which about that line. <laughs> I was like, oh, so this is really like Hu Yang's ship, but he already had a ship that we saw him associated with in Clone Wars. So maybe he, I, I, I made the joke. I was watching this with uh, a couple friends the other night. And I was like, is Hu Yang just like an old guy that's got a huge car collection in his garage? And, you know, he has like multiple ships that he takes out that he's got loaded up with lightsaber parts. Yeah, multiple um, ships with multiple lightsaber parts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's been around for thousands of years. So maybe he just keeps collecting stuff. Uh, Hu Yang's awesome. Yeah, another great is. character in this yeah, series. Yeah, he's shined. one of my favorite aspects of this show for sure. And definitely one of my favorite Star Wars droids.
Yeah, without question. And Alan continues saying, a crazy theory, but uh, Mortis has always been on Peridia and our heroes were transported there in their shuttle during the Clone Wars. That mountain with the crystal resembled the Mortis Monastery. So the same magic could send Ahsoka and Sabine and Hu Yang back to the main galaxy. And then he uh, ends his message by saying, I still want to see the other Grand Admiral. Her name hasn't even been spoken in any animation or live action that I'm aware of. And I believe, Alan, you're referring to uh, Ray Sloan um, from some of the newer books that came out when the new canon was established. I think, I think she made her first appearance in Aftermath. I could be wrong um, if I'm remembering right. But obviously, she's had, about right. she's had a presence in the books uh, and the comics for the most part. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm still <laughs> waiting for her to make her presence known as one of the high-ranking Imperial officers that's still around. And... I was surprised she wasn't part of the Shadow Council in Mandalorian Season 3. So maybe once we get Thrawn gets back and makes his present known to the Shadow Council and to the Imperial Remnants, we'll see uh, Ray Sloan. But I agree, um, her live action or live action or animated, you're right. <laughs> Either one is long overdue for a character because she's played such a big role in kind of the uh, Empire's survival once after the Battle of Jakku and they went into hiding. So um, I definitely agree with that. So thank you for those messages, Alan. And then also we got an email from Eric titled Project Necromancer. Hello there, Eric Newman says. He goes, so the Ahsoka finale was amazing and for me cemented it as the best season of any Star Wars series so far. But what about what happens next? I've watched random recap shows and listened to a few other pods, but nobody has mentioned all season long the big hint from Chapter 23 of Mando and what was discussed at the Shadow Council. And he quotes, Grand Admiral Thrawn's return will be will herald in the reemergence of our military and provide com Commandant Hunks with enough time to deliver on Project Necromancer. This has to be the major plan of the Empire to return, as I think a few or more of these things could happen. And he goes, hundreds of resurrected witches from the caskets that were brought to Dathomir, the same witches, but being used to resurrect thousands of stormtroopers and maybe even dead characters like Maul, Savage Press, or Ventress. And then he says, uh, somehow Palpatine returned again for the first time. <laughs> Think a younger version like the Legends Dark Empire comic, where the witch is grabbing his essence to place in a clone body. I would die if they have Poe Dameron's parents give this info to the New Republic. <laughs> what do you guys think? So yeah, thanks for the email, Eric. And that's a good call as far as hearkening back and reminding us about Project Necromancer. Um, and... I think I'm not alone in thinking that was referring to uh, Palpatine and this, mm -hmm. his plans for to resurrect himself and have his life continue on. But now this gives a whole nother meaning to that project, especially when it literally could bring uh, characters back from the dead. And I like what he said, too, where then how we're speculating where Thrawn now just has to wake up the other Night Sisters in those casts. It's not necessarily resurrect, but if they have a bunch of Night Sisters now, who could also participate in the ritual and reanimating a bunch of dead characters. Like Eric says, if they want to bring a bunch of dead stormtroopers back to just grow their army of maybe some other main characters, that is another fascinating possibility that could uh, be what Project Necromancer was all about and maybe what Thrawn was kind of having planned or maybe giving some... I mean, it's hard to think about just how much the Shadow Council were able to communicate with Thrawn. Obviously, they knew mm -hmm. they were planning for his return, so they had to have some idea. So maybe he was able to get across 
certain elements of his plan and project necromancer was one of the things he hinted them on as far as uh, all the night sisters in those uh tombs or those caskets so i don't know but it's definitely another fun cool idea to think about the possibilities of what it means for the great mothers bringing all those caskets back to Dathomir and just what role that's going to play and the upcoming conflict that we know gets, that's going to take place in Dave's movie. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot to chew on there. I don't. Okay. So the, the assumption that I'm going off of right now is that the way that Paleon knew that Fraun's return was imminent was that maybe he was communicating with Morgan Elspeth. Or maybe she was working under him because we know mm -hmm. she had imperial connections. Um, Hux seems to be off doing his own thing with the Project Necromancer. And so I don't think that's necessarily connected to the witches. Now, once Thrawn gets back, like they certainly could maybe integrate that in somehow and maybe use the Night Sister magic to help out with that. Um and yeah, obviously we know that's all building towards Palpatine's return in the sequel trilogy. If they somehow bring Palpatine back again, like in between, like I think, <laughs> I think bringing him back in personally, you guys know me. I think bringing him back in the sequel trilogy was already one too many times. Um, and if they do it again, and then you know, for it to be like, oh well, they got they still got caught off guard by it in the sequel trilogy, even though this has already happened before. Um, I think would be a bit too much. Also, yeah. again, you know, I'm also not a huge fan of resurrecting dead characters in general. So using Night Sister Magic to bring back like Maul or something, I'm like, nah, let Maul stay dead. Um, but it will be interesting. Though I don't know, I could see that. <laughs> or, see, even that, well, like, because well, here's the all thing: these too. characters that he mentioned have been dead for a long time. Here's the um, thing, too. I mean, we know technically all the books are supposed to be canon, but we still never see on screen Saul Ventress die. So maybe if well, they wanted to retcon certain things, they could still be alive. Yeah, I was gonna say if you're gonna do that, then just have her still be alive. Don't don't resurrect her like 30-year-old corpse. Yeah. Um, but it will be very interesting to see how all this pulls together. And again, I think this is all gonna play a big role in the movie, but also because there are so many different characters in the shadow council and so many sort of seemingly uh separate you know sort of imperial factions that are all kind of off doing their own thing i think that's still going to be a, a big theme of like mando season four maybe ahsoka season two maybe uh even like I don't know how much of that we'll see in Skeleton Crew or some of this other stuff. I don't think Skeleton Crew is going to be a big focus on like Thrawn and the, the Empire and sort of galactic scale threats. I think it seems like it's mostly going to be focused on just sort of this adventure with these kids. But um, I'm sure you're going to get connections to stuff going on in the time period. And so, um, yeah, just to see like how much of that story kind of plays out in pieces along the way and how much of it is, is uh, you know, just sort of in the big movie finale. I'm also curious to see, I know they've only announced Dave doing one movie so far, but like if it really is going to be kind of a, a modern canon retelling of heir to the empire, like that original Thrawn story was a trilogy. Um, and so I wonder if that, you know, if the movie is going to be a one and done you know, kind of big culmination of this, or if we could even get like a, a Thrawn film trilogy. 
Um, I don't know. There's they could wrap this up quick or they could drag it on for the next 10 years. Like the, the possibilities are endless, but hey, um, it's as good as what we've gotten so far. Drag on all you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, no, for sure. I mean, going back to Eric's point though, like just seeing the, the shadow council all sort of come together, seeing that influence continue and seeing the, the project necromancer stuff. And like, as this story is being told also kind of laying the future groundwork for the sequel trilogy and Palpatine's return and all that kind of stuff is going to be really interesting to see how they kind of space it out, how they pace the story, how all that stuff plays out is going to be just one more aspect of all of this. That's going to make it very interesting to watch. Yeah. But in the meantime, it sure is going to be fun to speculate. And as I said, with this series speculation and, was such a fun thing about this Ahsoka series, but when nothing happens as, at least for me, for the most part, that I speculated on, it's just, to me, when it's done right, it's even better when that happens and you just get something totally unexpected, but yet it feels so right. I think that happened a lot with Ahsoka with a lot of the speculation that we were doing and it didn't quite match up, but what we got was even better than anything I was speculating on. So, and I think- yeah, it- Imagine if you could go back in time eight weeks to, uh, you know, when we were about to head out for the the premiere screening. And if you could tell yourself, hey, by the end of this series, you're going to see Anakin and Ahsoka have a lightsaber duel in the world between worlds. Uh, you're going to see Night Sisters resurrecting stormtroopers with their magic. And oh, yeah, that Balin guy, he's going to be standing on a statue of the Mortis <laughs> Gods by the time it's all said and done. You'd just be like, I think my head would explode. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah. What a fun ride, though, it's been. Just like I said, that's part of the fun. But as long as you don't get too attached to your theories and speculation stuff to where you're disappointed when it doesn't happen, that's where it could kind of become something where like it happens your enjoyment of what's actually being told in the story. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's the only thing. But yeah, it was and fun, again, <laughs> that's why it's like I've got so many theories and, and things about where this could all go and things that I want to see and things that I think we might see. But I'm also totally prepared for Dave to just chuck all that out the window and give me something even better that I never would have expected. So, yeah, that happened to me many times with this series. So I'm yeah. all for it. Um, well, yeah, as always, thank you to you guys for, uh, you know, interacting with us online for sending us comments and questions and, uh, you know, emails and everything. Um, you know, we really appreciate you guys reaching out and we love getting to interact with you and, uh, talk with you guys about this stuff and, um, you know, that's part of the fun too, of doing these shows weekly about each episode, getting to talk about it and hearing what you guys think and bouncing off your thoughts and theories too is always a good time. Yeah, and thank you for sending us so many lengthy uh, questions and stuff this episode to help us get over the three-hour mark for surprisingly the first time this season. Um, But I think it's, again, just because we've been recording every week (laughs) and not every couple of weeks. Um, But yeah, of course, for the finale, we'd have to push out a three-hour episode. And again, if Paul were here, we'd be well over four, I'm sure. (laughs) but uh you know lots more discussions to be had you know when he's back and you know we'll we'll keep talking about this show well into the future i'm sure i know it's gonna certainly stay with us for a while um and uh you know there'll be plenty of time for more theories and speculations and reminiscing on on just the the themes and everything of this show and uh you know just the, the great journey that we've seen these characters go on and hopefully we'll continue to see so um 
But yeah, I'm ready to wrap up and go to bed because now this has been a long episode, but it's been a blast talking about this. Um, so as always, uh, you know, if you guys want to chime in with your thoughts and interact with us, you can follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. You can send us email at Star Wars TSC at gmail.com. And you can check out our website at Star Wars TSC.com. Um, you can find all of our episodes and stuff on there. Um, of course, always as always, we appreciate it if you uh, leave us a review or a rating on, uh, you know, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. Um, but, uh, you know, this has been a blast. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we've enjoyed talking with you guys throughout this whole season of Ahsoka and uh, can't wait for what's next. It'll be interesting to see. Like, we don't know if Skeleton Crew is still going to be coming out by the end of this year or not um haven't really heard anything (laughs) i kind of doubt it too i mean we haven't heard anything by this point you would have you think that we would at least would have maybe gotten like a release date or a poster or something like that um although they usually wait till one thing is done before they promote the next thing so now that ahsoka is over like i would think that maybe we'll hear something sooner than later um but anyway you know you you guys know we're uh you know, we'll be here talking Star Wars regardless of when the next thing coming out is. So um, we will see you next time. But thank you for listening. And as always, may the force be with you. See you next time, everybody.